Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's April 21st, 2023, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 560. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Happy 420, everyone. Uh, it's a day late. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. That's all right. I mean, in your heart, here now. Here now. Yeah. Is for, is like, for it is like, it lingers, right? I mean, I, that's kind of the definition of it. Yeah. Uh, right I, now, I'm not cool Renata, but I do have her energy in my heart. Yeah. Cool, cool Renata. <laughs> uh, also, now that, is it actually finally happening? Are the are the blue check marks actually finally going away? I still got mine. Yeah, I, it hasn't I happened think, yet. I think, I think all the Twitter servers <laughs> blew up in the fucking rocket. Uh, Musk, Musk is thinking of a suitably epic way to make the checks go away, like yeah, something yeah. that's really like funny and, and witty. He's gonna and, replace. Uh, so here's actually he's gonna someone replace. came up with the the funny and witty, which is like, what if it's they're not? He claims they went away. Cuck but you mark. just will, is that anything? You'll just never know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Can I get that again, Rob? Cuck mark. No. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, I guess that already exists. It's the paid check. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. So, like, that was oh, the pitch. Was like, nice, what if you just Rob? give everyone with the existing check mark the cuck mark, and so you will just <laughs> never know did this person pay or not, and you have to live with the stain <sighs> of. Well, you can have the cuck mark, but you know, have you truly been cucked? I um, hate. This. <laughs> you already heard him. You heard that was Patrick Klapek. Uh, you heard cool Renata Price. Uh, not cool Renata right now. Not, not okay. wrong. Not Uncool. Yet. Uncool. 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 Standard even. Renata. Do you have to pay $8 a month to unlock cool Renata Price? <laughs> uh, so. Patrick, I think I've seen you have been playing a little bit of Everspace too this week. Have we, have we all got a tiny bit of Everspace fever. I have. Um, I, oh, let me hold. On, let me check my notes. Um, I, I, I've written down two words. Um, fuck and yeah. Uh, are these notes I've written down about Everspace? Two. I have some qualms. We'll get there. But broadly speaking, uh, yeah, fuck yeah, Everspace right? Two is uh, uh, a little bit of fuck and a little bit of yeah. Cotto, yeah. yeah. have you partaken? Very, yeah. very, a very small amount because I spent too long trying to remap the buttons on my controller. So hey, what's up? What's good? What's good? Friends? Yeah, what's yeah. Good? Hey, hey, hey! When I said I had some qualms, do we just want to start there? We established the the fuck yeah part. Can we get to the other stuff? So oh, I will so say, curious. I think there was a moment. I like I fired this game up last Friday. I had the whole like afternoon. I could play games. It was like the schedule was open to just like dig into some games. And there's a moment I was like, had my little gamepad, and I was like, I can just play the game like this. And then I fucked up so bad. <laughs> what you do? I, well, so 
I went into the control. I, I went into the uh, settings uh, menu. And I saw the control schemes. There's two things that like caught, one caught one thing caught my eye right away, which is it supports track IR, which is like track IR is the head tracking uh, mm-hmm. thing where there's an like, oh. infrared camera and you put like you wear a little like you just wear a baseball cap. You put a little. Uh, thing on the bill that has like three reference points that the camera will track and it tracks head movement. Mm. Really VR, VR without an entire headset, uh, but you get, you get that like that, that actual like uh, head tracking stuff without putting the lenses on your face. Right, and like really useful for uh, like racing games, almost mandatory for flight sims uh, because like there's points where you need to be able to like check different visual references without like fussing with the whole interface but so when track IR support comes up it's oftentimes a little bit of a like code that the developer is also kind of opening the door here to like the sim weirdos and maybe you should like regard <laughs> the game in that way and then I see that it has like joystick and throttle support and I was like well you looked on. right behind you at your yeah your your, your your museum of accessories. Welcome to the museum of accessories. Hello, old friends. Is, and so, is joystick and throttle the preferred nomenclature these days? I thought HOTAS. HOTAS. Yeah. Please be respectful. So, a couple things, though. Canceling Rob for calling it a joystick and throttle. So there's actually two things with this uh, HOTAS setup. It's the SciTech X55. Uh, it's a few years old, but more more importantly, it is SciTech was a really good peripheral company that got acquired by Mad Cats. Oh. And yes, one can imagine what happens in a Mad Cats acquisition, but they 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 largely let SciTech exist as an independent brand, uh, and then Mad Cats kind of went eh. And Logitech picked up the entire thing, uh, p- picked up everything. They bought Mad so, Cats as well. I, th- I I think that I think that might be how that'll play that played out. Um, I mean, it sort of on some level makes sense. I feel like the the uh, the heyday of the accessory is behind us, and so I, I guess I'm not shocked. I haven't tracked. I feel like the last time I thought about Mad Cats was like when you were really low on the E3 meeting assignments list. Like, yeah, you weren't going to see the new Zelda. You're not mm. seeing the new Halo. Do you want to take the Mad Cat's appointment right up? Take some photos <laughs> of some accessories and okay. upload those to a gallery? Yeah, that's what I did as an intern. So Mad Cat's uh, went bankrupt. Mm. All right. Uh, hey, it happens to great companies. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a little bankruptcy. <laughs> uh, like, do not think a company can, like, be, like, that bankruptcy and being a reputable brand are not compatible. Because I assure that's you America. they are. That's America. That's just about getting good. your financial house in order through a process that's just been tainted by a little bit of, where's the money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, sometimes, sometimes. Don't got it. <laughs> Sometimes people talk about bankruptcy like bad thing, but I've been hearing from some people recently that bankruptcy may be good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a great way to deal. You know, discharge debts. And who doesn't love to discharge debts? Not <laughs> by paying them. I don't like. I don't like that <laughs> phrasing. I'm just out here discharging my debts. So okay. So but anyway, debts. so Madcats like went to administration, but mm-hmm. in that Logitech picked up SciTech out of the portfolio. Hmm. Cheap asset. So, but the problem is now that's two layers of acquisitions 
for SciTech stuff. So SciTech, like drivers, software, all of this fallen into the legacy pit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Where is this? Um, in the conversation pit, do we talk about our legacy accessories? Is that what we're discussing this week? <laughs> I couldn't find the drivers for the uh, for the, for the stick and throttle, and they're also supposed to have a profiling software that allows you to for games that maybe don't totally support your, which is a lot. Like there's so many different peripherals. Not every game is going to say specific. It, it's say like, oh, I know exactly what controller you're using. So profiler software is helpful. Uh, you know, for making sort of brute forcing. Uh, different commands onto a peripheral uh, so that like, you know, when you press a button, it'll register as the keystrokes to make the thing happen correctly mm-hmm. in game. Uh, can't find that software either. And the drivers uh, predate Windows 11. And no, there won't be any Windows 11 drivers coming for this. There's a lot of people you online. There's like now limitations on what is a pretty good and rugged, uh, you know, set of controllers but it's just it, it it's kind of vestigial and nothing has really stepped up to take its place because the 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 thing about SciTech was they hit sort of the mid-market price point where like this setup was like 150 dollars um if you look at like the really the high-end sim enthusiast stuff which is the next step up you're looking at like uh, three hundred dollars just for the joystick, and like another three hundred for the for the throttle. That's like that's the world you enter, uh, and it goes up from there. Anyway, uh, so I found the FTP server where they keep the drivers. Uh, this is now just shared around like various, uh, uh the old Sidewinder. Hell yeah! Oh, that's God, the, I miss my old Sidewinder. That's the last one. I that, I had that and the the gamepad. Like those are some of my first uh, the accessories. Logitech Wingman, uh, before the redesign, where they made it much more generic, where they had a like beautifully sculpted, and contoured uh, joystick. It was such a perfect controller. Uh, the problem was it was not ambidextrous, and when they I believe they did make a left-handed version, but you can imagine why eventually as the sim market did not become as relevant to the future of PC gaming. Logitech was like, we just need one size fits all. Anyway, I missed that thing like crazy. Uh, (laughs) So I finally get this thing working ish, like no profiler software, but at least windows 11 can see what I have. The Mm. button, the buttons are all registering correctly. Uh, All good. Go into the game. And, it supports the the throttle and stick, but it doesn't have like any sort of logical presets for it at all. So I'm <laughs> like, well, I gotta just remap this thing. Right. And then I ran into, I suspect the issue you ran into as well, Kato. Uh as far as this game is concerned, there's like four different sets of controls that exist yeah. uh in this game that all have their own control schemes that use some of the same buttons, but depending on like contextually where you are, they'll do different things. Uh, you know, you'll be in different menus. You'll be like the menu you pull up when you're scanning another ship is different than the menu controls when you are like in the pause menu. And so it's yeah. like five or six pages of controls that you are now mapping. There's also like 
you know, there's like different controls for uh, analog control of something. Like if you want to put it on a stick versus like, yes. I want to move this to a button. And like yep. now there's like a different uh, category that that a, falls you under. An, you want it on an axis or you want it on a button? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's like, oh, well. I mean, sure. And then, yeah, I like started remapping. I was like, sure. I, I, I don't like the... I want I want roll to be on shoulder buttons. That's just my how my brain space works. Dude, honestly, so the, the way this game presents roll, which is not uh, in my the hours I've spent since like explicitly required to play, but yeah. it's part of the aesthetic and like what you want to do 100%. in these games. Um, and roll on a gamepad. And I thought about using keyboard and mouse, but one of the reasons I use gamepad a lot on my PC is if I have to go back to my office. I want some distance from my fucking monitor mm. and I don't want to be in the position that I was in all day when I was working. And so I, I like being able to like sit back and like recline. And that's like a huge appeal of the, of the game pad. And plus this game felt like it's arcadey enough that it should be just, I'm not, I shouldn't be losing very much, but the way this game maps roll is, and I could not accomplish it in the tutorial. Like I managed to do it by accident twice just so the game is like, yeah, okay. Like, can we just move on to the next thing? Is like, it wants you to, Click the stick, the right stick, mm-hmm. and then push in a direction. Yeah. Which is, Kato, a couple times recently, we have talked about finger feel yeah. on, on games um, <laughs> in the context of infinite guitars and like um, and rhythm games where it's like if you can map it right on a – like the way your, your, your thumb or other buttons move along a gamepad can feel like actually physically satisfying. Yeah. This is like on the other end of that. Like <laughs> pushing in a stick and attempting to roll it is one of the most profound. I feel like I'm like I'm taking years off of this gamepad's life. Like a button is it's not supposed to be pushed in this way, and then I can't even do what it's asking. I was like, no. I can't roll on command, it, and it, so it like like start you start rolling, and then at some point, whatever like click pressure you had on it like goes away because you're tilting and, and it just stops rolling like mid roll all of a sudden <laughs> sorry sorry i have a, i have a key question for all of you uh-huh did none of you try keyboard and, the default keyboard and mouse controls no, we're didn't. talking about different yeah. we want to use no. game pads gamepad. and gamepad hotas look game no, that's, that's fine that's fine i'm just fascinated you're, that you're not, not a single other person on this call was like you know what let me let me try the default controls and see how those feel this game no. is being ported to consoles like it's it is saying I like gamepad good also specifically yeah. so here's i was just curious specifically drive like space planes whatever i want a little stick to pull back on like i, I can't my mm-hmm. brain doesn't want to do the thing on like Wazdi, like that's not sure. how flying it's, things go. It's not your question. I will. I, I did, but we'll come back to what happened. Why I can't use. So it let me. The concluding okay. arc of this gamepad thing is I have had a kicking around uh, for a while. Like Microsoft at some point sent me like the most recent Elite controller, and the mm. first thing I did was take off. The little dinkuses that go on the back, right? <laughs> like the little tabs. Yeah, but you can use those. So, be, and I understand their use, yeah, right? Like, yeah. which is like in shooters, like load. Like, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. I understand why mm-hmm. they exist. I do not play games that require that level of controller complexity. And they feel weird to have there if I'm not going <laughs> right. to use them, which is why they're super easy to take out. It's it's like remarkable how easy it is to take this out and put it back in. It's If you've never done it, it has it has a good feel. Like, it's yeah. satisfying <laughs> just to put it in and take it it's out. It's got a good Crazy. click. But... Um, when I, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, okay, 
maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to grab that elite out of out of my desk. It was connected to my Xbox, connected to the PC. What if I can put this in the back and the roll can be on two of mm. those? My fingers land there yeah. very nicely, sure. and so I can keep the existing controls. Maybe I do what Kato was talking about, where like I'm doing the up the vertical movement, the up and down. Maybe I map that on on the upper buttons. But there's not an easy way with the existing controller setup to just put roll somewhere else elegantly. You have to remove something or add a layer yeah. of complexity Patrick, to the I'm buttons. I'm really curious. Did it recognize those back those backside buttons? No, as it not does not AB. recognize them as an extra button. It, it it is it is this is the curse of it is such a cool feature but doesn't even it, not a, not every Xbox game even does that. Yeah. There's some that recognize it as like okay you want this map to specifically that le- lever on the back right and I'm like great thank you mm-hmm. yes exactly and that's what I wanted but for the most but a part a lot of games yeah. it's like that's just a better way to hit uh you know X Y A B and I'm like right. that's not I- what I want. Right. I, and I guess th- I haven't gone down this rabbit hole. There are some people have said in the actual there is like separate Xbox software where you can map it, make a profile that in theory it should recognize the tabs mm. and then the game. But it, that's not basically it's it's fussy and it may not work. Like So I haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet because that would be the 100 percent ideal setup is that. I've since given up on on rolling, and the game is fine, and I'm having a great time, sure. and it works just fine with the controller. But I cannot help but miss it a little bit where there's like, this wouldn't save me from getting shot, but damn, it would look kind of cool. And I missed cool it. I just if you're can't. spinning while you're. Yes! I'm not going to dodge the missile any better, but boy, <laughs> I would feel cooler doing it. Yeah. Um, and. Because, like, in the Descenti sort of stuff where, you know, you're, you're moving back into a space, like. You know, the game has an auto leveling feature where it's kind of like managing like how you're it's like it it's fine. I'm just it's missing that one last thing that I can't tell. I spent like a 90 minutes fussing with this part of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could have spent 90 minutes shooting shit instead. And instead, I'm trying to figure out how to roll. Rob, you said you had something. Take us back to your journey. So uh, a visual aid is probably helpful at this point. <laughs> in Congress you put up a little uh so I start mapping the controls yeah and what I need you to understand is that the game is aware that there are two devices in there there's the SciTech throttle and the SciTech joystick and it is aware that they have different axes uh like axes uh that you can use but as far as it's concerned, they are also like everything is just button one, button two, button three, button four. Mm-hmm. Simple enough at first. Uh, the the trigger on uh, the joystick is button one. Mm. The big uh, like thumb button up at the top of the stick uh, where you would often like have missiles bound or something. That's button two. Then you start getting into in the case of the stick itself. Um, it has three hat switches. Oh shit! One it recognizes as a hat switch, but can you explain the what others, a hat? What is a hat switch? Um, a hat switch is basically like a clickier version of a D pad. Honestly, okay. is is how it tends to tends to operate. Uh, useful for like scrolling down, like in a flight sim, like multifunction displays, right? Which mm-hmm. uh, you know you'll be able to you know tap around inside a 
uh, in-game display and select the highlight different options, etc. So in, in in every space would this be like I want to switch between like the different special uh, like uh, features you have, like the EMP like blast or your different missiles or whatever. Uh, yeah, that that would have been one logical way of doing it. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, you also need so you need things for like I need to switch weapons, so you need yeah. to have a you know a hat dedicated to that. Yeah. Uh, I tried valiantly to figure out a way to have every single control the ship can flight control the ship can execute tied to a different axis, but there are too many. So the way it works online is uh, so pitch up like nose up, nose down mm-hmm. is you might expect like tied to the front and back motion of the joystick. Yeah, roll wing wing dip left, wing dip right. Uh, is tied to the left and right movement of the of the stick, and then oh good, uh, yaw nose swing left, nose swing right. I tied to the twist axis, uh, but because this is a little spaceship, it can also strafe. It can go straight up. It can mm-hmm. go straight down, straight side to side. And I got the brilliant idea of oh, there are little wheels on the uh, throttle. Th- like thumb wheels. See, this little oh, button yeah, yeah. Yeah, is yeah. ringed by a wheel. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I could use that as an axis to control this. No, you can't. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. Uh, it, 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 that's not going to work. Oh, no. Uh, those are those are for like adjusting trim uh, in, in a flight sim. So what I ended up doing was I dedicated one of the hat switches to the strafe left, strafe right, strafe up, strafe down. That works reasonably well. Sure. Uh, but then every single system, so it's like you have your consumables, uh, right. you're going to, uh, you know, you want to fire off your special attack ability or you need to get, uh, you need to use your little repair robots. I need little buttons for those. Uh, and it just becomes really hard to track what you're doing because what you're laying out makes some intuitive sense to you. Yeah. But the game is just like, yeah, uh, we'll sign that to button 32. And I'm like, yeah, button 32. That's not how I think of it. Like button 32. <laughs> what the fuck is button 32? Right. Uh, so, for instance, like, it's got the throttle has all these fun little switches. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That. You can feel like a real spaceman, uh, like, <laughs> using that to, like, uh, to mm-hmm. toggle things. Yeah. But it doesn't know that's a switch. Right. The up position is a button. The down position is a different is a button. button. Yeah. And so (laughs) I spent that entire afternoon playing with controls, going into the game, Uh discovering a different shortcoming, going back out, (laughs) fussing with the controls some more. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Until I got to a reasonable setup, at which point it was time to go pick up the dog. (laughs) And there was no more game time. Oh, God. I I uh I ejected a lot faster. It was still like easily like twenty minutes of the seven like sixty minutes I ended up having with the game anyways. But still, uh, I like just there's too many there's too many options, and for some reason you can also you can you can accidentally I accidentally mapped two two different buttons to one option. At one point, and I was like, "What is happening here?" And I couldn't find well, I tra- it. I tried that with the I tried that with the roll specifically. Like yeah. I actually tried to map strafing and rolling to the same s- ah. stick, which 
huh. that you can do. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and it, it makes why? it feel a little. Wait, why? Huh? Why? Wait, how would that work? Why would, yeah, why, how would that work? Why would you do that? You essentially like it, like the, 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 the ship becomes, again, this was like trying to solve a problem that didn't have an obvious solution. And I was like, well, how fussy is that going to be? And like, it basically, like, it's worth trying just to see how it feels. Like, it gives the ship like a really unique, um, it just feels like oh, really I kind gotcha, of slippery gotcha, and fast. Gotcha. Okay. Um, like, so you're talking about, you're going in a circle? Is that what you're talking about? No, so if that's interesting, so so when you it's throw like your, the, when you the, throw it's the ship to the right, like it would turn right and dip and dip right, a it's kind of like at a forty five degree angle. That's probably describing which it. which I think like, is it feels a bit like how the X the X Wing and Tie Fighter games played back in the day. I think this was yes. how like uh, Lawrence Holland worked around like the fact that flight controls are not intuitive. Um, so it was like it worked, like I was able to control the ship, but it didn't. It felt. Uh, it did not feel compatible with the game that was in front of me. Yeah. It's like, well, this this solved it in that I I can do both at the same time, but it it didn't it didn't feel good. So I just I eventually just ditched it, and I have made my peace with the lack of roll. And I will maybe go into the Xbox app and see if I can fuss with the the tabs. But mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like the game feels fine without the the roll. It it, it is I'm there able to shoot. It it also always I didn't I couldn't find it. Is there an option to turn off the auto centering or like change the yeah. way that that works? Okay. Yeah. It it, it 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 caught me by surprise a few times when I was like, especially in that little tutorial area where you're like trying to get through the door, and I I mm-hmm. was like, oh, I have to line up, don't I? Like that's just what I assumed I would have to do. There's enough space. You don't have to actually roll at all. But uh, it kept like suddenly slowly moving me back and i was like wait what i want to but i want to i need to <laughs> i need to line up please let me yeah that's just in the that's just in the options menu i forget which one but like it's, it's in the controls like you can turn if you if you don't want that then it's, um, it's or temporarily you don't you can you can flip it on and off it definitely feels like it's just the game doesn't care about rolling at all and it's no. just like it's there because we should have it as a space game in theory but it it's just the, not mechanically required to to play the game. The fact but that it, I it, feel like that part auto, of the, part of the level, hero's journey I am on is yeah. like having the role. So it does feel like something is missing for sure. Just the fact that the auto level is the default and it kicks in pretty quickly. Uh, what? <laughs> I, I believe the auto the auto level is only default on controller. Really? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I believe the auto level is My only. My ship ain't auto leveling. Yeah, that, I've, I've never auto leveled even for a second. This well, that is, would make. I mean, wouldn't that make sense? Like because the uh, like guess. on the controller, by default, how they've assigned the controls, Ugh. you would you would want that feature more than you would want it on a. Yeah, yes. Well, I, yes, I, I wish would. it were now, a, now, a separate button, right? Like, okay, I've rolled. I don't care about what it. Button? Let me. I, that's the issue, right? Exactly. That's the issue. <laughs> Like, I, mean, I don't I, know. Let I, me I double that, click the fucking stick or something to to reset yeah, my level. No, I'm like. with you. Actually, a double click <laughs> would totally work. Yeah, like. that sounds like it would work. The the thing that I'll say is like this game definitely came out on consoles. But as someone who has played it with keyboard and mouse, it is very like the systems and like controls are very much built around them. And I and I think that it is very very interesting. Uh, to hear y'all's experience trying to play on controller, uh, which I played for for like five minutes and was like, actually, I think I, I think the keyboard and mouse feels better. Where's where, uh, where's the, where's what does WASD do then? WASD moves you forward, backward, and strafe. Okay, and then and you then, use your mouse to actually control uh, pitch and yaw uh, is controlled with mouse. Yeah, that always feels weird to me. 
and then uh, you use uh, E and Q to roll. To roll. Yeah, that, that and so you sense. can do you can do the strafe and roll simultaneously. Ew, I'm, I'm touching that with my fingers. Uh, ew. <laughs> what? What do you mean? Ew. No, that seems ew, that, that seems gross. that seems fine to me. That's totally the, the real fine. thing that gets me is always like, it doesn't feel right to use a mouse because I don't want to. I don't want to invert mouse look ever, almost ever. Wait, but, but I want but to. In- wait, wait. Yeah. Sorry, Kato. It, it's important to note the game has a reticle. I know that I you know. point at things. Yeah. But you invert right. when you're flying a ship. You always invert the, no, the fucking you, look. Not if you're not if you're using a reticle to point at a thing. Yeah. It, God, are you trying to suggest to me that if you wanted to shoot at someone who is let's I pull use back, this term here, I pull back above, on the stick. I pull back above, on the stick. You pull back on the stick, but that's a different thing than a mouse cutter. What are you talking <laughs> well, about? But this you're, is telling what I'm, you, you're telling me that if that you would bring your mouse cursor to the bottom of the screen no, to I, shoot someone who you. is above you. I'm with you. That feels wrong. No. But but what I want the, is for the, mouse is for the, the ship's nose is following the reticle. The yeah. ship's nose is following the reticle. And that that fucks me but up. That's where it, that's where <laughs> that's, that's, that's where the that's where the, that's where the disconnect Why? happens because I want a ship. I want a, a ship to when I pull back on the thing that's c- controlling the nose to go up. Kato, you yeah. know what you should do is you should go to no cockpit view and no ship view. Just like just, just like, look at the star field and just like be a radical just be a radical. Just space. be a radical in space. Just be a radical in space. That's definitely uh, what that I, might, I think I have to that do. Might, I'm losing my mind. That might eliminate some of the. Uh, what I really need, I just need to get a Hotas. I just need to no. I just yeah, need to yeah, buy yeah. these. Yeah. Yeah. And then take a day off. That work. obviously doesn't work. Rob just talked about this. Well, hold on. <laughs> I got there. Yeah, it just takes a like, bit. Let, just, me, let me let me be very clear. Just take some dedication. I did emerge victorious. Now, <laughs> did he play the game or have any impressions of how he feels about it? No, certainly not. No, I played. I played a fair bit. Uh, okay. Not really, but I played some good opening missions. And game shows that Rob played seven hours. Wow, he must be like. That's like what I can tell the game. you oh my is. God. This game's so much fucking harder with a with with a hold off. It's like incredibly difficult. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, because oh. all the shit where it's just like you're throwing the mouse around, the ship's just kind of following the mouse. Instead, imagine thinking about you're simultaneously like putting in throttle. You're twisting the stick to the left to bring the nose around. You are also pushing it down to bring the nose down and also, then you're also rolling. Also, wait, it's also, always like every, you're always doing four things. There's at once. an option every to every weapon in this game is gimbaled. Every weapon in this game is gimbaled. So you're not like the weapon doesn't fire directly in front of your ship or is yeah, not no, designed it, it to fire directly in front of your ship is designed. Oh, to I like, got to get it. I got to get it in the vicinity of the target yeah. before the tracking goes. Uh, so I got to at least like be roughly on the uh, on the target, uh, if that uh, if the, if that tracking is going to go, which is a godsend. Uh, having having the tracking it, work is is cool. It understand yeah. does it understand throttle the way it's supposed to? Like because it doesn't on on sticks, right? On the on the it, it does like it does like uh, okay. so when my throttle well it's a little it's a little tricky when the throttle's in the neutral position. Uh, I'm neither putting forward or back uh, motion on the uh, ship uh, when right, the throttle is. Yeah. Okay. There's an automatic stop happening. Is I want, I'm well, I could turn off the inertial damper. 
That's what that's what that is. Okay. There's mm. a there's an option for that. Where I just keep floating. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but that gets real interesting because you can also like impart a bunch of uh, you know like angular momentum sure. to, to yourself, and that's fun. Uh, yeah, and then you're <laughs> continuing to sort of like travel and and spin. It's great, uh, and that feels really fun when when you're sort of uh, letting your ship fly one way with like uh you know conserved momentum and then you're pointing the other way and like blasting people that feels great every time every time you do it i got that little switch Mm -hmm. so i can turn i can toggle the the inertial damper on or off nice feels great undeniably it's so much harder to engage in combat this (laughs) way uh it is like the way i would put it is uh i have to fly really evasively to get into closer range uh, where some of the fine point control doesn't become as much of an issue uh, over targeting. Now you're, you're, you're running an arcade it, shooter at sim, right? Like, this is at sim control speed. Like that, those feel like those are two things that are pulling in opposite directions. Like sim shooters operate slower by, <laughs> because that is going yeah. so to, so it occurred to me, I was like, this is control. fucked up. I just want to play <laughs> keyboard. And then what happened, Rob? Sadly, all the muscle memory is now for, and my entire understanding of this game is now wired yep. to the yep. throttle and stick. 100%. And I yep. was like, this feels so fucking weird now. <laughs> I was like, the ship was just like like so going everywhere. Like, whoa. And I was like, I don't like the way this feels. It doesn't feel like a ship anymore. Uh, it feels it, it feels it feels too loosey. A uh, little too goosey. And so I, I, I'm like, I would have to go back to the tutorial, redo everything and like relearn to play this game with mouse and keyboard. I, I'm glad that everyone's enjoying their time with every space too. <laughs> See, but here, here be my counterpoint. If the game, like. The whole this game is meant to be played with mouse and keyboard. Then they shouldn't have like three distinct invitations to be like, actually, here's you make any control scheme work with it. Well, you can, uh, and I'm I'm taking advantage of that offer. But if it truly is a case where like, eh, we didn't actually figure out how to make this this design work, except with a with a free look mouse and a keyboard, then you have then you you kind of have like the real control scheme, and then. Two other alternate control schemes that, like, we are suggesting as a way to play, but actually don't really work. I I, I want to be clear. Like, the role, I think, is mostly, like, aesthetic preference at, at a certain level. The game is completely 100% playable, fun, fine with the gamepad. If you didn't, if the game did not have role in the tutorial, you would not miss it when you played it. The problem was it said... Hey, you want to roll? Hey, this and I was is like, yeah, I do. I do want to roll. But if the game had never presented that and it was just buried as like an advanced control option in the gamepad, you know I would weird, just move though, forward. Fine. I feel like I do want roll because the sheer number of times like when I need to be really sneaky and escapey uh, under fire from like, uh, you know, at this point, it's still mostly just pirates uh, running around. But like <laughs> when I'm when I, when there's like a ton of enemy fighters and their little shithead drones uh, all popping off at me. And I need to just like go and evade that fire. 
frequently by like running along the ruins of other ships or uh, ducking. Like asteroids are useful too, but like the thing that can really shake pursuit is you get into the twisting structures of like space stations or like ruined ships. And boy, I find roles very handy to sort of navigate the the tiny little gaps uh, you have open to you. And and I so I just haven't found myself in those situations. You as, may not need to. Yeah. Cause like you're having an easier time. I'm like, just shooting them down, Rob. <laughs> right. Whereas I'm like, Oh, well, okay. I guess honestly, the encounter that caused me the most problems was, I was up against drones that I think have like rail guns on them. Yeah, the is this when you're doing? Yeah. Is you're doing like the um, uh, the outposts? Yeah, uh, mission. Yeah, I, so that's the one I just finished. It's the first time the game pushed back on me. Yeah, difficulty wise, like this is a game that even you know uh, with with the gamepad, I I was just you just kind of hey, there's some enemies, time to boost in and like yep. use my cool special power and like I'm just really not thinking except like things are exploding and I'm catching. And Stop suddenly and you're like, oh, a 1500 meter <laughs> disparity between max range. Uh, you really feel that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the first time the game like killed me multiple times. I like Google that was like difficulty spike and it was mostly like just stop being a dumbass and slow down and I was like okay I guess I could do that instead <laughs> which was like it, it suddenly was a, a a sequence in which I I was using closer to what you're talking about where like you have these massive asteroids you know big chunks of rock next to you and I'm using them as cover to like sneak out and then like I think I'm using a coil gun. I think Ren, that is the one that you were talking about, which is kind of like the build-up sniper rifle. No, that's sort of. that's 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 not that's 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 the rail gun. The rail gun is oh, the thing the that charges. Maybe that is what I'm yeah. using. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's the one that I'm using. Fires and, at three point um, five uh, kilometers. Right, and so it's very useful to like take out these annoying drones you're talking about, to take out these turrets that like can just shred your 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 ship. At least the like, the default one, because you don't have enough money early on to to buy anything else, but. I, uh, so I'm mostly using the rocks to kind of like strafe around and then uh, sort of like, and as long as I'm taking things out slowly at a time and like, hey, reinforcements are coming. Like, all right, well, like hide the sh- hide the, the station so those turrets can't get me. Take out those reinforcements, go back to plucking those off. It's a, it's it's weird. I suddenly feel like I'm playing a third person shooter. I just happen to be in a ship um, and, it, and it adopts a very different uh, sort of feel because like the vastness of space is less relevant than me using this bot giant rock as cover and then peeking out shooting and then coming back. And then once I adopted that approach, the mission was not trivial, but like it was definitely like I was able to do it and then do another one of the outposts just fine. But it is a fundamentally sort of different uh, approach to, to combat. But uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. So the mission that caused me like my first problems, the first time I died uh, basically was, um, I don't think it was the mission you're talking about, Patrick. It was I had to pick up a thing for a guy who had a scanner, uh, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be you know ultimately you're you're getting paint for a cool pirate gang. But the first place he sends you is guarded by uh, there's there's a pirate at the center of it, uh, but then there's also these drones that have the three lasers that sort of zero in on you. And yeah. so you get ample warning that you're you're being targeted. <laughs> you're fucked. Uh, <laughs> but I was like. I can't shoot the, and I hadn't realized because the game hadn't pulled this trick on me yet. It was the first time that the enemy could strike me from much further away than I could. Like I wasn't getting any like locking from my missiles. I wasn't getting my weapons weren't effective at that range. And meanwhile, because I'd sort of been conditioned to hang back, I was trying to like nose in on this perimeter 
against like sniper rifles. And so finally, for me, the solution there was uh, you got to lean in on the fact that you're living that, uh, you know, Hotas life and you got to boost in under their range uh, and you like wait for that, like laser to converge, at which point you hit a little bit of boost, a little bit of lateral thrust and you juke out of the way of the yeah. shot and then you get in there but then you got a bunch of enemies like on you and it's a bit of a crowd control situation. They're all sort of shooting at once. And that's where I was sort of going through the, the, the solar panels mm. and the, the superstructure of the space station, letting that thing soak up their shots and block their line of sight while I kept like sort of popping out, gunning things down until I cleared the area. Felt amazing. Uh, yeah. Like this is this was the, the, the trade off was like it was a pretty boilerplate encounter but like every time I'm sort of spinning the ship through like various bits of wreckage and space station uh hell yeah I feel like Starbuck or Luke Skywalker it feels great uh and like I dig like things I love are um the weapons have different characters I love that mm-hmm. the autocannon has to spin up yeah. for a beat before you just unload that like hailstorm of metal on a target every time you get that you time it just right uh where the the spin up happens as you're bringing the reticle across and then you know you just like perforate the target it feels so good so i assume everyone is playing on normal difficulty given your control stru- no no kato what are you doing kato what one above whatever it was I don't know. I don't remember what it was. It has like five settings, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. got a couple. It's yeah. not like so you're like a medium, medium hard. hard. Yeah, basically. Got it. I, was... I die. I die. I died trying to figure out rolling in that first fight, the very first fight. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't be me, but I respect. Yeah, it. I was. I was. I was just curious because I've been playing the game on, I believe, either the hardest or the second hardest. I don't remember which, and so I was just. I was just curious because, like, I think that I've had to make a lot of the same. Oh, I'm in a bad situation. Let me make let me make a way out of it, but with a very different control scheme leading me to that uh, conclusion, and then giving me very different solutions to those problems. Um, but is no, it, I'm just curious. Did did I? I'm trying to. There was, I had a moment where I couldn't figure out if I uh, just aimed incorrectly, or do missiles have a range here? They do. Yeah, they, you have it. to lock on. Damn it, Kato, are you not locking on? <laughs> no, I mean I am, but at one point I was like. In theory, if I just line this up, a missile should just go straight forever, right? Until I hit something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's how missiles work. No, that's... <laughs> it's not in this game, Regrettably, right. it's the, yes. in, in the same way that, like, if you turn off initial dampers, you still can't accelerate forever to, until right. you, like, achieve the speed of light. Right. Like, it's gonna be like, no, that's not, no, that's not gonna happen. No, no, we have to, for balanced reasons, we gotta make them just kind of disappear at a certain point. I mean, rockets uh, work that way in this game. Rockets are unguided. Uh, they just have, like, an optimal firing range. Um, but rockets rockets are unguided. Missiles are not. Guided missiles have a final range at which point they detonate. But uh, rockets... Bam! Right. Like, so if you, if you got rockets and you got a distant large target that's, like, set, like, say, 10 kilometers out. 10 kilometers? I don't know about 10 yeah. fucking kilometers. You can't even see someone at 10 kilometers. 
You can see. I mean, you can see what big if it's things like at ten a big rock. So kind of or you can yeah. see a speck at ten kilometer. How? Like, I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. But like, I, I don't think you can fire ten kilometers. No, I don't know if the game is even like properly loading things at that range. Yeah. Right, right. That's the thing. Right, it's like probably... combat. The max combat range here is three point five kilometers. That is the railgun. Right. That is that is the maximum mm-hmm, range at which mm-hmm. you can like actually engage with someone. Yeah. Uh, but like it is like it's it's really cool like it's uh i it's part of i think why it's such a bastard to set up in in some ways uh with right. the control maps but like also there's a lot of fun stuff to fuss with uh in this game but it doesn't feel that cumbersome uh, cause you know, ultimately you still are having moments where it's like, yeah, this is like kind of, this is kind of dissenting, uh, would in a way that feels terrific. Yeah. And I think that the, the dissentiness of it all is why I played with mouse and keyboard, which is why I just defaulted to mouse and keyboard because like you are stopping a lot, at least in my experience, like you are like stopping your ship and then like coming around a corner in a way that feels very much I should be using WASD to to move through this space <laughs> in this way and and in a way that I that I like you know find interesting uh I think I've got like so for things like that I've gotten to a place now where uh for me like the controls a lot of times like I will have a sense of like I'm swooping around a corner rather than like Sometimes, like when I'm like spelunking in a dead ship, for instance, which is a fun thing. I dig. I, I love this part too. There is so much. Uh, oh, here's a here's a ghost ship. It's got goodies aboard yeah. it. But how can we get into that ship? And you got to like steer your little ship through the wreckage and like float around. Try I to can figure see out, the container. Like, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Where's that <laughs> container? And you got to find the right angle. And it, it may not even be locked behind something. It's just you have to navigate over to the one space and that becomes part of the puzzle. It's everspace's equivalent of like the far cry radio tower thing, but also like (laughs) way more fun. Uh, Well, also the way you get the little, um, my guess is these maybe get repetitive 10 hours from now, but right now they're still delightful where you're jumping into, you know, light speed or whatever equivalent, you know, they have here, but like you're in that kind of like middle ground and like, you can get like a distress signal and say, yo, you want to jump out of this? And like, stop off and do this little thing on the way. And that's, those are a little fun. They so far seem to just be, I don't know, you're going to get a loot drop and there's like six enemies. There's not yeah. a whole lot to them. And I'm, I'm suspecting that doesn't change over the course of the game. But conceptually, I like the the notion that, well, I'm off to go do this thing. Well, how in a space game are we going to interrupt the player from going point A to point B, given that a lot of space travel can kind of fundamentally just be a fast travel option it's like oh well in this little spot we're going to give you something to kind of interrupt that flow and and maybe uh gesture towards something you could do over here just like the four times i've done it it's like well i'll do enough to accomplish this challenge that the game is dangling in front of me i don't know that i'm gonna like r.i.p to the other people that need help i think after that that challenge is fulfilled i don't know that i'm answering another distress call (laughs) yeah this is uh yeah this is why those people on the tanks died uh, cause like, it was just like, ah, eh, distress calls. Those are never anything. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that, that is what the person said when they were like, can I have some nanobots or, what you know, whatever heals your, your health equivalent? And he's like, wow, nobody ever answers these. And it's like, yeah, that'll be me in a couple of hours with this game, bud. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that, that's definitely a thing where, yeah, each time I pop out, it's like, yep, it's a little random encounter. <laughs> uh, but I like that they're so skippable, too. I like that it's not like, mm-hmm. yes, like when I go back to a game like Privateer, for instance, all the way back in the day. Uh, so much of that game was just I want to go from point A to point B, but I have to go through like twelve different jumps to get there. And each single waypoint, there's a high probability of bullshit uh, that I've got to encounter. I've got to like fight my way through. And here, a lot of that cruft is kind of just moved off, uh, and you can sort of stay on critical path. And then like, well, it's not dissimilar to the way a lot of you know like you know, 16-bit era RPGs, um, a game styled on that. Like, hey, like, I'm just trying to go get that treasure chest on the yep. other side of this map, and uh, you're going to get five random encounters <laughs> on the way there. Some of that exists for balance issues, and this game has a leveling system, so it's like you need to hit some level of encounters to to to, ha- to kind of progress that system. But also at a certain point, it's like, yo, just let me get there. <laughs> like, I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's again, like, the, the Assassin's Creed, par- Creed parallel is, like, uh, you know, you, somebody's like, oh, please help me. You take a look. It's like, how good is your character model? And it's just a generic face. Um, Amazing. Like, mm. Racial profiling has reached video games. <laughs> It's uh, sorry, sorry. You're you're a troll. Uh, I don't. I I I'm not here to deal with troll problems. Oh uh, now, God. if you were a secondary character with like wow. a voice actor assigned to you <laughs> that gets credited for this role, then we could talk. But uh, you know, regrettably, I'm gonna have to let these wolves or pirates or whatever is happening. Uh, you know, they gotta eat too. Circle of life. Yeah. Uh, the. There's also, like, I find the most endearing thing when a game has, like, a big in-game glossary. And the glossary has to explain things like resources. I Like, I went, <laughs> went to the in-game glossary. It's explaining, like, the uh, what's what's G&B? Oh, it's the big corporate cartel that, uh, that basically, like, you know, runs this entire sector. Like, Company Town. Uh, who's the... Uh, the um, Okar, who, who, who are they? But then also it, is, it will have an entry for resources. Resources are goods that are necessary for developing manufacturing technologies or it's like there's a glossary entry for like what are natural resources? What are weapons? And I'm like, bless your heart. I I love this for you, game. I love that. I love that you that you're uh, that you're like, it's all lore, baby. Uh, Yeah. It's lore to somebody, Rob, someone out here. Everspace 2 might be their first game. We just don't want to. We just don't want to overlook them. And but and they've not been. They're like in a prelapsarian state where they're like they don't even know what weapons are. You can show a picture of a gun, and they're like, "What?" what I mean, it. I will say the game does distinguish between weapons and sub weapons, which I think is a is is Mm. why you would maybe want a glossary entry, is so you can make it clear that you're talking about the primary weapons that you click with, as opposed to the secondary weapons which you shoot out of a rocket and go in a different slot. Yeah, I mean, sure. If you want a serious answer to the question instead of us making fun of the question, you can say that. That's also being thrown by the control interface. But yeah, the the glossary entry stuff is is just uh, magnificent. I love it, Uh, and I love that it's always accompanied by little concept art uh, from the game. Um, 
as far as like right now, I'm still very much in the stage of um, the endless RPG chain of favors. I'm still in the like my buddy got fucked up in the opening cutscene. He's still not doing good. And it's like we got to get him medical care. Mm. And so it's all like built around that where I'm just going from place to place trying to get the next MacGuffin to mm-hmm. get this guy a uh, med pod. I think I'm on the uh, closing stage of that, which brings me to like there's cool things like right now I'm in a stealth mission where it's like go into this cargo depot and there are like ships are going through these like scanner gates to like have their cargo verified or whatever. But yeah. it's slowly moving planes of like laser scanners. And then you hack the machines and the scanner slows down, creating little gaps. You can fly your little ship in and go up to the target and like steal shit out of the trunk effectively. And like this is really cool that the game supports this. Uh, there's this entire little like stealth dynamic uh, that you can get into play and assume that's going to like it feels like right now everything they're introducing you to is like going to become part of like a core like mechanical language of the yeah, game. You're, uh, if you just want to fuck off and do piracy like this is how you do like thieving. I mean like this you're in the tutorial area right like it's yeah. not just there is a tutorial the entire like first like sex. Cedo stu- yeah, yeah. is the tutorial area. The game opens up massively uh once you leave Cedo um after some like plot stuff happens like you, the video game has not yet begun uh it is it is still in like the prologue section effectively i the story is more interesting once it has its proper beginning right now right because yeah. like right now it's you're, you're kind of the the gormless little clone uh <laughs> you know who's kind of being led along by his nose because the tutorial yeah uh, but yeah, it's the, the, like, no, there's like a really good narrative hook at the end of Cedo. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, very quickly things start falling into place as to like what the big job, like there's, there's the big job that keeps being referenced in the first like area of the game. And, and once the, what the big job is gets revealed, the plot really gets going. Um, and so like yeah. that, that, that happens a little like a, a ways after leaving Cedo. Um, but yeah, there's like uh, plot stuff that happens that I think is um, worth your time. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to keep sinking time into it and it's going to take time because with these controls ain't nothing coming easy. I tripped those <laughs> sensors so many times because I was like, whoops, <laughs> I accidentally imparted a little reverse throttle when I was just trying to stop and I backed into a sensor. Uh, but hey, this is these are all ways that I'm just going to get better controlling the ship. It's all you know. Are these failures or are these learning opportunities? Does your <laughs> does your throttle have like a little catch at the at the at neutral, or is it like smooth? You know, it has ev- just about every other thing. Like every knob and wheel has like a neutral position that's sort of marked with a little catch. Uh-huh. The throttle doesn't. Hmm. Um, and my suspicion is because most things. You have zero throttle and then 100% throttle saturation. Right. What you don't have is 100, negative 100. Right, right, right. Uh, which, it, but like, at least it's marked off with little hashes. Uh, so, like, I can at least, like, look down and see uh, where I'm at in terms of the, the throttle position. <laughs> but also, like, it's something I preach about the game is, like, every time thrusters fire, the appropriate thrusters are shown on the ship, like going, uh, you know, certain intensity. So it, mm. it sort of does give you decent feedback uh, as to what's happening between the ship and your controls. Um, 
but yeah, it's like it's it's really interesting. It's a wildly customizable game, uh, maybe almost too much so. Uh, the experience of playing it from the cockpit view versus like the third person is also kind of profound because the cockpit view has a ton of like useful interface stuff on it that is, in some ways, like more cleanly laid out uh, than it is in the like HUD overlay. Um, but you know, then you're also wasting a lot of screen real estate with cockpit art, which is pretty, but. <laughs> I might need to see where the enemy fighters are a little more than I need to see what the cockpit looks like. Um, but yeah, it's it's really neat, and I'm I think I'm I'm glad we've all we've all caught uh, Everspace Fever. I'm 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 thrilled. The Ever Fever. You sound. Thrilled. <laughs> uh, it's been. I, I, I'm, I'm going, I can't wait to tell you more about the awesome ways I've elected to play I know, this I'm game. so excited. No, I'm excited to hear how it goes. Legitimately, I'm excited to hear how it goes. I, <laughs> I have kind of resigned myself to maybe this workout, but there might be a point where I'm like, I need the mouse and keyboard to do this. Like, I need to hit these shots and I need to not be wrestling with controls. But uh, maybe I won't. I'm, I'm very curious to see if uh, this can get to the point where it's like, Perfectly uh, intuitive and seamless. You know what? Uh, we here at Waypoint are lifelong learners, and I'm always saying this. And I think that that Everspace Two are. is going to be a big learning experience for. Oh, I, for think, yeah. I think everyone on staff is going to find this to be a learning experience. Uh, speaking of learning experiences, uh, what have you learned playing Ocho? Ocho. 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 Uh, Ocho is a. Hotline Miami-esque. That's what the PR email used. Um, uh, that's a comparison they're inviting. Uh, Hotline Miami-esque uh, top-down twin-stick shooter that I actually really, really like. Um, it is set in a really stark black and white, um, kind of like noir, neo-noir-ish world where you are playing as an otherwise unnamed protagonist called an Ocho, uh, which is a word that means wolf, uh, as they basically go on a revenge-fueled quest through uh, this mansion that... Um, an undying revenge-filled quest uh, through a mansion uh, as they try and find the person who was taken from them uh, in addition to their lost memories. Um, and you do this by effectively hotline miami your way through this, like, really uh, expansive, uh, uh, like, complex... And I think it like comes together really well. I would describe like the rhythm to it as John Wick esque, uh, in terms of like if Hotline Miami is about memorizing levels, which I think it is. Um, after like once you when when you are playing Hotline Miami, you are memorizing room and enemy placements to then go through them as quickly and combo heavy as possible in order to like chase scores, right? Ocho has you doing that same thing, but on a micro scale where you were like, okay, I vaguely recognize this room layout. How am I going to move through it as I try and keep this combo meter up in these levels that are, um, uh, I believe, slightly procedurally generated? Um, or at least like putting, there are building blocks being put together, right? Uh, and in addition to all of that, you can take a little bit more damage than you can in Hotline Mammy because Hotline Mammy is a one hit and you're done game. This is a you can take a few bullets uh, game because you're fighting significantly more enemies. Uh, and then finally, there's like this slow there's a slow motion power that is like, 
you know, uh, I, I think a, I think a classic of the top down shooter and like specifically games that are like slightly uh, derived from Max Payne. Um, there is a there is a Max Payne energy here with the like neo noir uh, aesthetics, the slowing down time. Someone done me wrong and roll. I'm angry and haunted. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's all like painted with very broad strokes, but like the moment to moment combat is extremely satisfying. Uh, the reason that I compare it to John Wick is that like, I think part of the choreography of those movies is that John Wick has to take hits. Um, that is one of the things I really like about like fight scenes in, in that series is the fact that like, you cannot dodge every blow. You cannot block every blow. Sometimes you just have to take a shot to the ribs and accept that you're and, and try to mitigate that shot to your ribs. Uh, and then keep going. And it gives this like attritional effect to some fight scenes, uh, like the throwing knife scene from Parabellum, uh, John Wick 3 Parabellum. But by, by the end of that scene, he that he is limping. He is barely <laughs> able to walk because he is just exhausted from having fought like seven guys simultaneously. And I don't think Hotline Miami ever, like really gives you that feeling. Um, Ocho does. Um, Mm -hmm. getting down to like a sliver of your health with six guys left and only like 10 rounds in your pistol feels really good because it becomes this moment of, okay, I know the tools on the board. I have three seconds to plan this out. How am I going to like improvised choreo, like improvised dance my way through this space? Um, in a way that I think is like really fun. I've put like, uh, when I'm like looking for like something to do for 30 minutes in the evening, um, while I wait for like my girlfriend to get home or something like that, I have been booting up Ocho and being like, let me, let me, let me take a quick run. Um, I think it's, I think it's a very cute little roguelike. Um, and also like there are upgrades. Uh, it's like the standard, like you get to through choose from one of three options after every run, after every like level, um, or after every few levels, um, and you can get extra upgrades if you earn more money and you earn more money by keeping your combo higher. And so not only is it like facilitating this, like, so if Hotline Miami facilitates score chasing, Ocho kind of demands it, uh, for you to actually be able to have enough money to afford the upgrades that are going to keep your character survivable into the latter half of the game. Uh, I yeah, have a question. Amy. Um, uh, this is a game uh, shooting a lot yeah, of dudes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Dudes everywhere, everywhere yeah. shooting them up, yeah. blood. And I was like kind of scrubbing through like a trailer, yeah. and I appear to see. Mm-hmm. Um, correct me if I maybe yeah. I maybe yeah, yeah. not encountered this enemy. The inbred yeah, basilisk, I love the inbred basilisk, which appears to be um, an enormous <laughs> snake yeah. uh, <laughs> filling the screen. Uh, enormous snake filling the screen. Uh, also, all every segment of its body has guns tied to it. Cool. Uh, also, so does its face. Uh, also has a rocket launcher. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it leaves mines. All right. <laughs> oh my god! Didn't he, you didn't have to tell me that? I just that's... I just connected the dots and just assumed that's mm-hmm. where this enemy mm-hmm. logically. But the, the boss battles specifically, I have like I, there's someone that I think was called Mister Destruction. It's just a guy in a tiny tank <laughs> going around the room. Like, what's going on there, here? <laughs> there are some like very like fun surreal surrealist uh, horror elements to this game that kind of just like crop up now and again like one of the things uh one of like the conceptual horrors of this setting is that all of the people who work in the mansion have been here for like what feels like centuries of time they're just fucking stuck here like the ochos come and go when they find like 
their heart in the center of the mansion or whatever the fuck. However, groundskeeper Eric just works here. Like he he truly is just has to hang out. And so these like surrealist elements um help to like vary the game's tone just enough where it's like not uh, not exclusively let me let me put my face up to the grim dark uh grim dark waterfall. Uh instead it's like okay, the inbred basilisk is very silly. Uh, uh, Mr. Destruction. The Abhorrence, which appears to be a giant gecko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just <laughs> That's very along good. The arena. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Patrick, it rules. It rules. I think this game absolutely <sighs> rules. Um, the one thing I will say is that the boss fights are for, you know, I think the boss fights do lose something, which is like a lot of the boss fights are pretty bullet spongy, and you go into a boss fight with one weapon that has infinite ammo. So like that you can reload mm. infinitely because every other gun in the game has usually one magazine, one extra magazine worth of ammunition. Uh, because again, it, it is doing the John Wick thing of I'm going to pick up a gun. You're just picking up what gets dropped from the exactly. Other and like yeah. I can reload once. Uh, and that's like a really, that's a really good feeling uh, to be, to have, to have those moments. And like, same thing with like the moment of like, okay, I have an extra magazine here. I have two bullets left in the silenced pistol. I can take out a guy with two bullets, but there's six coming around the corner. Right? Like, how am I going? How do I want to approach the situation? Can I make this work uh, without having to take the time to reload? And sometimes the answer to that is, I'm going to come around the corner, pop, pop, then do a melee kick on the next guy, then throw a gun into the face of the third guy, pick up the second guy's gun and open fire. And like, that is John Wick to me. Yeah. That is that is that is John Wick-esque behavior, uh, if I've ever seen it. But the boss fights do not have that same energy. They are just like twin stick shooter boss fights uh, in a way that is mm-hmm. like a little bit disappointing. Uh, I wish that they had found a way to Im- like integrate that like improvisational choreographed approach to combat into those fights. Um, those boss, boss fights don't even have like a combo meter. It feels like something completely out of a different video game uh, for better and for worse. That does sound like an odd decision. Cause like, yeah, the main part of the game you described sounds awesome. And like, this is why you made this game. And the second part sounds kind of like both generic. And also like, this is the type of stuff that does tend to be the most frustrating. Yeah. Uh, that, that people encounter. So it's going to it's going to take you away from like the part of the game that's probably gotten you hooked. And I understand like sometimes there's there's sometimes there's value in like varying pacing mm-hmm. of anything. You know, like sometimes you need that like other movement. Right. But I don't know. Does like yeah, it doesn't sound like this was the, the, like that this was the the quiet the the quiet slow down section that this needed. Yeah, and and it, the game does have those right. There are like memory sequences and like the bar that you get your upgrades from, where like everything does slow down. Um, but like there are entire upgrade paths that become useless against bosses. Um, for example, a thing I love to do in this game is play with kunai. Uh, there are throwing knives in this game. I love to make a throwing knife build. There is one upgrade you get that every time you throw a throwing knife, you also throw two additional throwing knives next to it in like a, a in like a fanning spread. Um, and then another ability that every time you roll, you pull a throwing knife out of your pocket if you don't have a weapon equipped. And those two things combined like make for really fun uh, like play those don't really work in boss fights. The boss fights are about shooting a big guy with a machine gun, a bunch. Um, yeah. 
I'm like, that's a bummer to me. Uh, or there's like another um, knife upgrade that turns the knives into throwing axes, which you can like then Thor-esque pull to you from across the room. Uh, and in doing so, <laughs> they will like hit enemies in their pathway. And like it completely changes how you approach these levels uh, once you get that upgrade. And it's just completely irrelevant in boss fights because the throwing knives are never an option in the weapon selection room for boss fights. And they will not let you enter boss fight rooms with those uh, non-standard weapons like grenades, kunai, uh, or throwing axes. I guess the last question, like, I don't think you mentioned this. Uh, music. Music good. Because, like... All right, because when I think about like Hotline Miami, that's the other part of it. Like one thing that made it feel so good doing that was just like that the game was a, it, like always felt like in tune with yeah. itself. Music good. Um, as the, I think aesthetically, yeah. this game is like excellently put. I think this game is about as well put together aesthetically as Hotline Miami is. It's just going for a different yeah. aesthetic. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. aiming for like the neo noir, uh, you know, black and white uh, with like really stark red, as opposed to uh, Hotline Miami's like. Mandy-esque color palette. <laughs> yeah. That sounds really cool. Uh, and certainly, like, it, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't feel to me like that a lot of games have successfully uh, played in Hotline Miami Sandbox no. since that game no, came out. No, they've been, I, I was actually talking with Galt about this after that, after that piece came out where he was like, yeah, it's really weird that there haven't been, like, dozens or hundreds of Hotline Miami clones. And I think that, like, one, there were in Flash games. Uh, but two, uh, I think it's just really hard. Like, I think that like once hotline Miami comes out, you're kind of fucked if you want to do that exact <laughs> thing, because it's just right. like, you can't do the hotline Miami. you just, you just cannot, it's not going to work. And this goes just to the left of it enough where like, you know, the thing that I end the, the piece that I wrote about it with is that it feels like that Ocho has like carved a hole in hotline Miami's shadow. It's not out of Hotline Miami's shadow at all, but it does have a, there is a, there is a space carved in it where you can go, that is where Ocho is and it is distinct, right? I can see that space in the shadow of Hotline Miami. There's a little pinprick of light here uh, or like a little like beam of light here that is this other thing. And so, yeah, uh, I think it's, I think it's neat. Awesome. Worth, Uh, um, worth quickly just mentioning spelled O-T-X-O if you're trying to like look up this game later because I had the trouble just being I was like Ocho like the number eight in Spanish no it's not not that pronounced that way but it, on Steam it's O-T-X-O uh, we're going to take a break here but when we come back I think we're going to be listening to an interview that Patrick did Patrick can you tell us a little bit about uh, what we're going to hear next yeah, I had a chance to uh, chat with the uh, CEO of Six to Start, Adrian Hahn, who, uh, th- when I was starting out running, uh, one of, when I was trying to find out ways to motivate myself to do that running, um, and Zombies Run was this sort of, like, narrative uh, game that would, like, hey, you've got to run, like, it was a story that played out based on what you would put in as different, like I'm going to run a mile or two miles or whatever. And it would like fit in little narrative beats. And it was, it was really important in me finding ways to get comfortable uh, with running before I like found what I actually wanted to listen to, which was just endless podcasts. Um, But uh, that game has been really successful and around for a long time. It continues to be around. 
And the studio intended to make a bunch of different things and then ended up just making lots of zombies run um, since uh, around 2014. Um, but they uh, just announced a, a new game called Marvel Move, um, which kind of like sort of fits where like zombie The Walking Dead had kind of just started zombies were like at the center of the cultural universe uh, when zombies run uh, kicked around. And even if the, the MCU is, is faltering a bit, Marvel, uh, you know, is a huge cultural force. So it makes sense that that they would partner with them to try and come up with another project. And so we don't talk a ton about Marvel move in this conversation. It's more about like fitness, our relationships to bodies and like the rise and like shuffling away of gamification uh, and things like that. It's a, it's a really interesting conversation about, um, you know, also a discussion on, uh, what is motivation and what is exploitation, um, especially which is especially relevant in uh, creations like this. So, uh, yeah, it was a really fun uh, conversation and I uh, hope people enjoy it. All right. And we're going to take a quick break and uh, that interview will be next. Remember, Waypoint Plus listeners get this podcast ad free. Learn more at waypointplus.com and see how you can fill this break with anything but ads uh, back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Waypoint Radio. Once again, I am glad to be bringing you uh, another interview. Like we've been kind of bringing these into the show every once in a while and I'm glad to have another one on the docket. This one brings me way back because the last time I've talked to this person uh, was way back in 2014 when I were many jobs ago, uh, many, many years ago, uh, before children, before so many things. But I am pleased to uh, welcome to Waypoint Radio, uh, Adrian Hahn, the CEO of uh, Six to Start. Uh, a Do you describe yourselves as a fitness company? How do you even categorize uh, a game developer? Like where, where does that where does that actually fall for you? Well, I, I think it's more kind of a description of what it is we happen to be doing right now rather than, you know, we founded the company and decided all we want to do in our lives is fitness games. You know, when we when we founded Six to Start back, I don't know, something terrifying like, you know, 13 years ago, <laughs> um, it was, it you know, we this was when alternate reality games were still fairly new. And we couldn't say that we made ARGs because people wouldn't know what that meant. So we just said that we uh, made games mixed storytelling, gameplay, and the real world. So you can see how ARGs fit into that and mm-hmm. how fitness games fit in because they are, you know, uh, especially if you add in storytelling, that's what we what we really like. But, you know, we're, we're best known for our fitness games for things like Zombies Run now. And so it just seems better to, to acknowledge reality rather than... <laughs> <laughs> these other things as well you know a decade ago come on guys well i guess your relation so the company was sort of started around AR, like the notion of ARGs. like how, how distance are you from i guess i love bees is like if you're into video games sort of like that halo 2 i love bees is like one of the most notable ones in terms of you know the something my audience would know 
Um, is it is it like roughly that era that sort of kicks off your interest and in wanting to start a company around it? Precisely. I mean, you know, like I got into games because of ARGs. You know, mm. that 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 was my way into the industry. Like I always wanted to be a game designer, and unsurprisingly, no one wants to hire you as a game designer if you've never made a game before. <laughs> so, but, but you know, the the interesting thing about ARGs was that you could make them with just like a website and HTML and and you know voicemails and email autoresponders. So that's how I got in back, you know, first by playing, you know, The Beast, which was an ARG, you know, to promote the movie Artificial Intelligence, mm-hmm. but also then starting to make ARGs back in 2004, some of the earliest ones, and then effectively making ARGs for other companies in 2007. So that's how we kind of got started. And, you know, the, the problem with ARGs is that they're kind of hard to get into uh, if you ever ever look them up you know people write about them a lot but then reading through lots of forum posts and doing puzzles it it sounds amazing uh but a bit like eve online actually playing it is a bit more challenging <laughs> so you know like after doing that uh i i was like i would love to make a game <laughs> i'd love to make an experience that was much easier for people to get into but still feels really immersive and still feels kind of tied to the real world and so that's that's kind of like how we backed into doing doing fitness games even though again you know it's not not how we imagined um not in a bad way it's not not why we set up the company did you ever play the electronic arts game majestic are you familiar with it i'm very familiar because yeah, <laughs> it came out not not uh long uh um, around when I was kind of yeah, two thousand one um, is is when it uh, originally debuted. I I didn't actually have a chance to play it, but I remember reading the ads and like reading about it. And it's like I didn't have a BlackBerry or a fax machine, but like all those things were involved. But it's one of the earliest examples of like you know essentially what would become more popularized as ARGs, but certainly as there's sort of like mixed media, like physical real world uh, digital storytelling. Um, it was really ahead of its time, even though it was kind of laughed at when when EA took the, the risk on it at the, in 2001. It was a really cool idea. This is back when EA w- was doing really kind of innovative stuff. They spent mm-hmm. a lot of money on it, I remember. I think, I mean, there were two challenges. One was that it was kind of quite expensive, actually, because I, th- I think it had like a monthly subscription as well, yeah. back when like people wanted to do like World of Warcraft stuff. But I think the other issue, which I kind of made fun at the time, I, I thought it was an excuse, but I think it probably is true, is that 9-11 happened, like not long after Majestic mm-hmm. or, or around the time Majestic came out and, and people maybe just weren't in the mood to play a conspiracy theory. Yeah, July 24th is when it launches and then obviously soon after. And, you know, if you're running something over the course of a season, like, yeah, the real world is going to is going to interact with it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So the re- I had originally chatted with you over Zombies Run, and the reason I was interested in, in back in 2014 when I worked at um, uh, the website Giant Bomb was because that was roughly lines up with my own personal journey with fitness. Uh, my wife has a family history with running. She started kind of getting into running, and my family has a long history of the men dying of heart disease at early ages, and so... It was sort of impressed upon me at an at an early age that the earlier you can get into some form of physical fitness, the easier it's going to be, especially as you get older. And I tried a couple different things. Not much stuck or was hard to stick, but running for whatever reason seemed to come kind of easy and it didn't uh, drive me up a wall. And over time, sort of kind of 
like looked forward to doing it, like realized how how good it could make me feel. And a lot part of that journey was figuring out what the hell do I do while I'm while I'm running? Like some people want to be with their thoughts. Some people this is early, like that era is like early in podcasts and stuff like that hasn't as formalized as it is now. And I ended up wanting to chat with you about Zombies Run way back when because it was part of that shuffle of what is the hook? Like what gets me out and able to do push past, you know, getting your heart rate up for 10 minutes. Um, what is what is your own personal history with fitness? Like where where does it it come into like this is something I need to do? Um, and then obviously it, it eventually leads to working on something in, in software. But like over like the course of your life, like what is your own history with fitness? Yeah, I mean, you know, at school we uh, were basically made to do cross country running. And it was extremely painful <laughs> and and I was not very good at it. And so that kind of put me off running. But then when I was at university, it was in this beautiful place and it was very good for running. So I started running and uh, I got myself a Garmin 4Runner 201, which was like one of the first kind of fitness GPS trackers. Yeah. It looks like a brick on your arm. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and so I sort of proto gamified like running for myself just by like wanting to beat my kind of ghost runner because I did have that had like a ghost runner mode where you could oh, like, interesting. Beat against yourself. Yeah. And that was pretty motivating, you know, for me uh, at the time because I was like, oh, I can see how I'm improving like every day, every week. But then there actually came a moment um, like six months in or a year in where, <laughs> you know, the ghost runner started beating me. <laughs> and, and I was just like, this is just really depressing. Like, I, I, like I, I'm just getting worse. And like, why should I keep doing this? And and so eventually I stopped tracking it in that way because it just wasn't motivating. And, and I think for me, that was like a moment where there was a kind of dual realization. One is, hey, we can make running and we can make exercise more interesting through, you know, games, through gamification. But I think... Um, just relying on this idea of kind of performance metrics of leaderboards, it can get you some of the way there. And some people love that. I mean, that's what Peloton is all about. But um, it is not a great long-term solution. And for some people, they, they don't like it at all. And so it's really just try, you know, that that taught me just for myself that you've got to look at richer, different kinds of motivation. Um. And so we're here to chat because you have a new collaboration with Marvel, a sort of a successor to to Zombies Run. But to to build up to that, like, was there a moment when you knew you were on to something with Zombies Run, whether it was something like your own personal motivation or you handed an early prototype to someone? Like, when did you realize, like, oh, the notion thematically of running from zombies, this like storytelling uh, sort of like overarching hook? Like, this is something like we can build something around this. Like, when did it finally kind of like stick as hey, we're on to something. I mean, I, I'm going to say three moments if, if I can. Mm -hmm. The first one was when I was coming up with the idea with our co-creator, Naomi Alderman, and she's an amazing novelist. She has this new TV show out, which you might have heard, called The Power. And um, she was talking about making like a running game. And she said, how about zombies? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of zombies, you know? Like, we've already had The Walking Dead. We've had 28 Days Later, like, mm -hmm. overdone. That was kind of in the thick of, like, the rise of zombie fiction, uh, which is funny that The Walking Dead only recently went off the air, which I, goes to tell you how long the tale can be on those things. It, it, well, it's lasted so long that we've gone all the way around, wrapped them all the way around to The Last of Us now. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, 
But we were talking about it. I was like, you know what? The thing is, even though I, I'm done with zombies, it makes so much sense that, that this is the one circumstance where you as a player would conceivably be running so much. Like, you know, because there's no cars, there's no fuel, you know, there's no, you know, the roads are blocked, that sort of thing. You need to go and get supplies. It's a great story engine. You know, there's a lot of missions we can take people on. And it's audio-based because when you're running, you can't, you know, you've got like a radio operator. It all made a lot of sense. And then the second moment was when we did the Kickstarter and that was really successful and, and just like became the biggest video game Kickstarter of all time at that time um then it got, <laughs> got eclipsed by double fine so. there was yeah there was, that, there was that era where it was like every new kickstarter from a new old studio or old developer suddenly was the biggest kickstarter of all time that, that was a golden age for kickstarter <laughs> video games but but actually i think the main moment where i realized oh i think this is gonna work is when i got a demo i got sort of an alpha build on my iphone and it was from the second mission which was called distraction and basically at the start of this you hear like on the intercom through your headphones. It's like, uh, you know, our, our base gates have stuck in the open position. There are zombies inbound. We need, you know, runners three, four, five, and eight to get out on distraction duty. Go, go, go. And the sirens blaring. And I had listened to this mission like three or four times. And I was just like, I, I just need to run. Like I'm hearing it. And I, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just feel compelled to run. And I've read the script. I've seen this in production. And yet, I still feel it. And that to me is where I realized, okay, this, of course, you know, the, the audio storytelling is so intimate. And, you know, when you're in this kind of frame of mind where like you already prepared to run, you've got your trainers on, you've got a t-shirt on, it actually worked really well. And so when you threw in things like, you know, the zombie chasers and stuff, it was like, you know, it sounds like it wouldn't work or it sounds like it would get boring pretty quickly. And yet, um, even for me, it, it worked really well. And so that was when, yeah, I feel like we got something. The, that game launches several years, which is hard to imagine now, given sort of like the way I think people's personal relationship with fitness has developed over the last 10 years. But it's pre-Apple Watch, right? Like you have Fitbits, you have Garmin's. There are – you're starting to see people doing the, you know, steps sort of stuff. But it's – I feel, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels very much like – the, the Apple Watch sort of like creates this inflection point into the mass market of like people having a new relationship between what are they doing daily and how does that interact with sort of their physical movement. And the Apple Watch and the rings concept very specifically sort of popularizing for a lot of people like how do I conceptualize a day and like what is a goal, especially when it uh, is disconnected from necessarily doing a run or like a hit workout like something that's a little more concrete it's more just like what am i doing throughout the day and so zombies run is conceived and launches ahead of the real mainstreaming of sort of like devices on our, our wrists where we're like much more self-conscious day-to-day of our bodies and what we have or as they constantly ping us have not done i really like it every time the apple watch says like you haven't stood in a while and it's like i'm aware apple watch Fully aware that I've been doing a podcast for four hours and I haven't stood up, but I I like that. It's a huge like I found the, the the watch more more than any real device like to transform my relationship with my own body in a way that I've always really appreciated. But your game has existed and evolved alongside that, and so I'm curious, what has that been like to watch these devices just go everywhere and be around everyone? Because in the beginning, like I was doing Zombies Run just you know, my phone in my pocket with my, my, my earbuds in, like I didn't have, um, a fitness tracker. I was using like 
RunKeeper and and other like popular apps at the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got in there just a year or two after the App Store launched to third parties. And, you know, when we started, it was just really unusual to to have like new apps at all. People were just excited by new apps launching. Now no one cares. I like to, I, I used to I used to every day wake up and be like, what are the new patches? Like I was excited for patch notes on like my now, you know, I've got six screens full of, of junk that I'm like barely paying attention to. But I used to be like dang, like the Facebook app got updated. What did they add? <laughs> I, I think what was exciting back then was that every year, the capabilities of smartphones just jumped so, you know, far. And, and you know, when we started, you know, there was no idea that you could have like cellular connect- connectivity because, you know, people didn't even necessarily have 3G. You know, the, the phones were slow. You couldn't rely on them working in the background if you had the screen off, all this sort of thing. Um, people didn't have music as much. And then, you know, with the Apple Watch, with like AirPods even, you know, mm-hmm. it's just become more, it, it's become much easier for people to to have a good experience with things like Zombies Run. But also it meant that there's been like a ton of competition, you know, and, and just the entire market has completely changed. Back when we launched Zombies Run, it cost $8 to buy. I mean, imagine trying to go and sell a launch an app now that costs eight dollars. <laughs> I mean, people thought we were people thought we were absolutely deranged when we launched. Thought, you can't sell that for eight dollars. And now, and then we had to discount it and discount it and discount it. And then, like a few years after we launched, we we made it uh, free to play, and then we added a subscription. Right. Um, and we had the arc of any any app on the app store that was there early is discounted, discounted, and then uh, how do we do some sort of sub subscription model that makes this make sense? Well, and, and so that's where it kind of ties into the fitness aspect, because I think that uh, people still, uh, I, and I get this, although I, I think there are reasons for it, people get very upset when their favorite app uh, turns to subscription. People get upset with ours as well. But probably not as upset as other companies because I think people understand, you know, people compare Zombies Run to a gym membership or to other, you know, other digital fitness memberships and they are subscription based. And the reason they're subscription based is because they keep on adding new content and there's a lot of server functionality, which is the same for us. And so, you know, when we went to subscription, it was almost kind of committing ourselves to. We're just going to keep supporting this app forever. Basically, <laughs> we're, you know, they, you know they, we're not. We, we can't abandon it now. Like you know, we have people paying us, you know, every month, every year, and so we are going to to keep improving it. And that's just hard because it's such a moving target. You know, every year Apple and Google break half the stuff in iOS and Android, and and so just trying to keep up with that uh, is a difficult thing. Every year, there's you know, a new health kit change. There's the Apple Watch. People want it to support these different things. And so, I mean, in some ways, it's a great problem to have because it, it exposes you to this massive market and and we are able to do things we couldn't do before. On the other hand, it's just, um, you know, people talk a lot about live games these days, you know, mm-hmm. as a service. And it's like, we, we've been doing that for so long. <laughs> you just accidentally backed into it as opposed to so many companies are chasing that now. It's like, oh, this, if you can hit on one of these 10 games that people want to play every day or every month or every year, it's like you can make just so much more money. But becoming becoming part of people's daily habits is extremely hard because it means they have to take something off the shelf. Like, I've got my habits. This is what I do. 
okay, well, if I'm going to fit this here, well, this one's got to come down. It's rare that we're expanding the cabinet of our habits. It's more that we sacrifice something else and hopefully it fits. And I, I imagine that's the sort of stickiness that you must have in people's lives is, and it's the way I feel about my watch or, or other things that are, are fitness related is like, yeah, like this is part of me now. Um, and, and giving that up is, is, would be difficult. Well, you know, I never thought we'd be making zombies run for like a decade. <laughs> you are like The Walking Dead now, right? Like if that was also show went on for for a decade. And the nice part about zombie fiction is that there there are always ways that you can keep extending out how that story works. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that's a lot of room in, in in the apocalypse. But you know, I, I thought we'd make it for one or two or three years, and then we just go and make another game. Because, mm. uh, and I think the reason why we ended up working on it for so long is for what you said there is that people um turned it into a habit you know they, they actually came to rely on it and we will get emails and messages from people saying oh your game has transformed my fitness you know i use it you know every day every week you know it's really helped me get fit and it's one thing to have people email you saying they really enjoyed their game we, we get those and we got those for other games but when people say actually this has really been important for my health and i hope you keep going you know, it's a bit of pressure, <laughs> but it's also just like, it is nice to work on something where you know, it's really important to people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, like, I, I like making games that are just fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's also nice to think, wow, like we're, we're doing something quite hard here. It is actually really hard to make a fun fitness game. It's just, it's much easier to just make a fun game really. Um, and, and trying, because most people don't, most people just prefer to sit down on the sofa, you know, and, and not run. Like it is easier to do that. Me included. I'm I primarily my exercise is running and I still I still agree with that sentiment. <laughs> but but that that is a huge motivator for us to, to hear from people, oh, this is actually making a difference. And so that's why we're doing it. And I think when we realize that, you know, the story is such a big driver, then and, and we sort of introduce a subscription that um allowed us to kind of really figure out, okay, what we can do here is we can just keep on adding more stories and we can gradually build up the features and, and, you know, add different kinds of like running types and tracking types and workout types. So we do home workouts and, and, you know, good support for, for differently able people um, Mm -hmm. to try and try and sort of make it more broad. But yeah, it's, it's really just about like, how can we make this entertaining for people for years? So, you know, this game takes off, becomes part of people's lives, and you obviously start, you know, continue making it long after uh, you sort of expected. But the reason we're chatting at all is because not, you know, to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Zombies Run or anything, it's because now you are actually making a new fitness game, a uh, collaboration uh, with uh, Marvel. Um, what could, what's called Marvel Move. Do you want to, what's the, what's the, the high level pitch? Like, what is, what is Marvel Move? Marvel Move, it's basically a way to make exercise uh, more fun. So if you have ever wanted to walk, jog, or run a little bit more, or just be a little bit more motivated and make it a little bit more exciting, then we put you into this kind of immersive audio adventure where you are being trained by Thor and Loki across, you know, the Asgardian 10 worlds, um, or you are you know, being a spy with Daredevil or you are joining the X-Men and you go on these missions, you go on these workouts with these superheroes who you are, you know, hopefully know and love from from the comics and the movies. And, you know, 
they will go and tell you, like, we've got a job for you now. You've got to go and rescue these mutants from the Sentinels who've been, who've been stranded out there. And we turn it into this really immersive experience that, that we think is, is just going to get people really excited and, and, uh, excited to get up on a rainy Sunday morning when they'd rather stay in bed. Um, hopefully they'll be like, Oh wow. Like I really want to find out what happens next. And I want to go and build up my collection of trophies and, 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 uh, figure out what's going on in this mystery. When, when you got a chance to work on a new project where, you know, you're with the license, so I'm sure there's, you know, restrictions and, and things that come with working, you know, with existing characters, working within an, an existing company. But, you know, it's in many ways a chance to start from ground zero all over again with lessons learned. Then I'm sure you're incorporating a zombies run, but you still you have kind of your box that you're in in terms of like what the fans expect, like what their experience is like. What, what did you take away into building out with this experience that was going to be like that? took lessons from from zombies run that you want you were like finally like we have somewhere else to implement these ideas well i mean so the, the first thing to say is that zombies run is still continuing mm-hmm. because like we you know we've got a lot of players there but you know one of the one of the great advantages and one of the great limitations of zombies run is in its title which is to say it's about zombies and there are a lot of people who like zombies, and there are probably even more people who don't like zombies. <laughs> you know, they, they just hear the word zombies, and, and they think, oh, I don't like, I, I think it's going to be too scary, or I think it's going to be silly, it's just for kids, that sort of thing. And the advantage that we had from you know having the Marvel toy box open to us is we can tell these different kinds of stories with different kinds of characters who people already have a knowledge of and relationship with. So, you know, if we have a series, like a training series with Thor and Loki, then people already know that's going to be a fun time. They, they know if it's going to be for them. Or if we do a story with, you know, the Hulk, they know it's going to be a different kind of story. And so we're able to use, you know, people's, you know, affinity and knowledge of these characters um, to sort of get people into the action a bit faster. So that's kind of one big thing. And so it allows us, we're launching with like a bunch of different stories. And it means that even if you're like, you know what, like I'm more of an X-Men person than I am a Daredevil person, then there is something there for you. Now, that obviously does mean that we have more stories that we have to go and make. And so that that's a challenge. But it is a, it's a good place to be. Um, and we've been able to work with some really good writers on this. So I think that we've also learned a lot of just like, how do you tell a story where the user, you know, the runner is meant to be running all the time. Like that's actually surprisingly difficult. How do you, <laughs> how, how do you sort of keep people motivated? People have tried to do things like Zombies Run before. Um, there are a bunch of com- competitors out there and it's like, ah, it often ends up being surprisingly boring. And so we think we've made something that is just like really fun. Um, and that's what I like to see and read and and listen to is just like can we make something that's really fun and really exciting that that feels like you're in a really great thriller or action movie and where it's important that you are running and moving so that's a big part of it um you know another big part is we're really sort of leading quite hard on the sort of world expanding aspects of marvel move so after you've completed a run you will get an email from characters sort of giving you a bit more of the story you know telling you you know what you've done um, you can learn a bit more about the world through collectibles, through trophies, you know, through all sorts of things that you, you sort of collect. So it's not just like you're listening to an audio book. It is interactive. 
you'll get chased by enemies when you're you're running so you need to go and run a bit faster sentinels monsters all sorts of things so it it is this kind of mix of you know gamification and and storytelling and fitness which is still pretty rare there's not many people who do this sort of thing it's kind of a weird a weird combination but um yeah i don't know marvel it's fun yeah (laughs) you know and 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 uh and and yeah it's it's just a right vibe i think you know you know you with zombies run you know that's sort of at the height of like zombies and pop culture uh and you know partnering with marvel like obviously there are very few things bigger than the MCU at the moment. Like Marvel comics have always been a thing, but the advent of the MCU really takes it to another level in terms of sort of like mainstream understanding and and appreciation of these characters. And you mentioned, you know, the term gamification. And although, you know, licensing with Marvel may not be explicitly what we bucket under gamification, but it is under the wider bucket of like, what are people interested in? What are motivating factors to get them interested in doing a thing? And I'm curious as someone that does essentially made a thing across like, I don't know, like as the term gamification was, I feel like maybe it's not, you know, 2012, but it's around that era that I feel like that it was every bit everywhere. And I feel like that's, it's fun, maybe design wise, less out of favor, but in terms of it being a term that I'm hearing all the time, uh, I'm not hearing it as much these days, at least, at least in my circles, I'm just in that broader sort of idea of hooks, gamification, however you want to like actually, um, sort of name all that finding these motivating factors for players, uh, like, where do you stand on that now, um, having, like, gone through getting ready to launch the, sec- the second project? I mean, I think most of what you hear that is called gamification is really bad and, and either doesn't work or, or is just really lazily designed or is actively manipulative. So, you know, I, I think that and, – and so I, I think these days when people say something is gamified, they, they usually mean uh, it's kind of done – it's got some points and it's got some badges and and, and it, it's not necessarily a good game it's not necessarily fun but it has those things but and, and so like we used to get and we still do get invited to a lot of gamification conferences you know uh, because people think zombies run is a really good example mm-hmm. of, of gamification but but we don't think of zombies run as gamification we just call it a running game mm-hmm. and because it, it hopefully it's fun enough and and you know different enough and interactive enough to feel like that so i am a big believer in good gamification actually like you know i think it's really cool that you have things like rocksmith plus you know that that turn you know learning the guitar into you know playing a game i think that there are really cool things like you know kerbal space program which work well the challenge is it's just really hard to do it well right you know like just from a technical point of view from a game design point of view you're trying to make someone do something that is quite hard, right? It, it, it's not easy to learn the guitar. And and uh, a game can make it slightly easier, but it still you know, involves a lot of dexterity and a lot of like preparing. And and um, so I wish there was like 10 times as much gamification out there as there is now, but I wish it was good gamification. And I think that... that and I think actually the market rewards that, but it's just... Um, yeah, it's a design challenge. And I sort of don't blame game designers for being like, you know what, I'll just make something that's fun uh, because <laughs> because it's easier to raise money and it's it's kind of like a bit easier to do that. But I think it's just really rewarding to do something that's different. So all of that is to say, 
for sure, I think gamification has gone through this hype cycle and it's probably not like the high point of the hype cycle. I think a lot of people are a bit more skeptical of it. At the same time, you know, I think it's still really nice. to. It, it's really important to say that what are people having trouble with that they really want to do that is good for them, right? Learning a language, uh, getting fit, you know, learning an instrument. Can we help them through a game? Um, and if we can, let's do that. And if, if they have a story that can do that, let's do that. Um, you know, we're, we're working with Marvel because it's something, I, I think that this will expose people to this kind of experience who might not have considered it before, right? You know, like, I think there are probably a lot of people out there who, if I could, like, force them to play Zombies Run, maybe they <laughs> would like it. I just think they would hear Zombies Run and think, I don't know about that. But if they hear Marvel move, oh, yeah, like, I like Marvel. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's a fun time. I can see how that works. I would love to, like, learn how to run a 5K with Thor and Loki. Then I think that that's where, where it works. What do you think is that line between incentive and exploitation? Because it sounds like it's something you've given a lot of thought as you've worked in trying to design these types of systems and where where that line might fall? Well, you know, this is a really kind of interesting thing where basically the same system can, can start out being motivating and incentivizing behavior and then without any changes become um, manipulative. So, for example, like a lot of gig economy apps, you know, like... Uh, for taxis and for food delivery, mm -hmm. include gamification for workers. So, you know, when you're on your first job, it'll be like, hey, congratulations for completing your first mission, you know, delivering this, you know, Chinese takeout. Here's 50 points. You're, you've leveled up to level three, you know, confetti everywhere. Begin your next quest now. And people will actually say, oh, that was like really motivating and it was kind of really exciting. And I felt like I was playing this amazing game. And then they'll say, and six months later, I felt like I was being manipulated by exactly the same game mm -hmm. because it was saying, oh, if you want to go maintain your level 10 status and if you want to go and level up and get, get on the leaderboard and not slip down and win this award, you need to do 500 more tasks this week and you just feel crushed by it. So it is, you know, that's a kind of interesting thing where like the same thing can be welcomed and can be motivating for beginners and can end up feeling really crushing and and abusive you know by the end and so you know i would never say well let's ban or you know or gamification or even regulate all gamification but i would say that it's really easy actually to um manipulate workers or vulnerable people to doing stuff which they probably don't want to do you know i was talking to an uber driver about it um I was researching a book, you know, and I was talking about these Uber quests. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're literally called quests and they're offered to drivers. And the idea is if you complete a certain number of trips in a certain time period, you get a bonus. And I said, hey, these quests, like surely, like, don't you like them though? Because like you get extra money. And he was like, yeah, you, you get extra money, but I just get really tired and I don't want to, don't want to drive that much, you know? Um, it's just not worth it to them, but they kind of feel like they have to. And of course you could say, well, just don't do it then. But it's like, well, yeah, but it's a quest. And I, I feel like I should mm -hmm. um, because that's how it's designed. And, and people have grown up playing video games for the last 30 years and they know that they're meant to complete quests. So it's a really interesting kind of interplay. It's not some video game's fault. It's just, this is just something that people have grown up associating stuff from video games with positive things. 
and that's what bad gamification is taking advantage of. Yeah, the term quest, that makes me feel a little gross. <laughs> like, because you're specifically plucking the types of adventure, congratulatory terminology that games deploy. And certainly, there certainly there can be exploitative games, you know, free to play, like, like, gotcha stuff. Like, there's, their games are hardly, like, you know, error free in this, in this realm. But boy, like, seeing that terminology just kind of dropped in there, just sort of, ah, hmm. That was researched in a way that I don't know that was necessarily for the best intentions of the people that it's being deployed to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one practic, practically speaking, uh, you know, when you're building these games, uh, all games, even if it's sort of like narrative uh, focus, like need a QA. And so I assume your, your your studio is big enough now that every time like you need to QA test or like try a new script, you are not like strapping on your running shoes to go try it out. But like what is the like QA and like evolution process of these scripts and the software given that it's. I'm not trying to say sitting down in front of a monitor, it doesn't require effort. I do it all day and it's tiring, but like getting out and running, you know, two miles to make sure this like script feels right and to send notes is a slightly different ask. I, 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 used, I used to do it a lot for a surprisingly long time because I was kind of main runner in, in the company. Um, we added in a lot of debugging modes into the app and, and that, you know, to sort of simulate runs and simulate GPS. And so it is possible for, for, um, our team to, our QA team to just go and sit down and, and like see the person run around the map and make sure things work from a technical point of view. I think that like after the first few years, um, we figured out like how a story should feel, how workout should feel, how a mission feel and, and how long it should last. But, you know, the other thing that we figured out is that people actually really like different things, unsurprisingly. And so some people wanted to do multiple missions in a single long run. And other people wanted to just do half a mission in one run. I mean, just completely different experiences, right? And, you know, I I sort of just realized the the way to accommodate this is just to give people as many options as possible. And so if people want to go and do a really short run and just blast through the story and blast through the game as fast as possible like be our guest like we're going to make that as good as possible as we can for you um or if people want to you know like stretch out for as long as possible and they they're going to do like there are people who do marathons and ultra marathons with our game and we're like well we're going to try and make that work as well as where they they'll they'll listen to uh, during an ultra I assume that's a use case you had not necessarily conceptualized when when Zombies Run started. Was like, how do we stretch this out over multiple hours? I mean, it, it, it's an interesting <laughs> one where I think people like I, I think ultra marathoners realize that they don't have a sort of typical use case. <laughs> I mean, they really appreciate the fact that it that it just works full stop, you know. And and so you know, to the extent that we can, we're like, well we have some really long stories for, for the people who want to do that. We have like half marathon distance stories, you know, and we have some really long stories which you can play back to back. We have this thing called radio mode, which is also in Marvel Move, where, which basically we designed right from the start to accommodate the fact that we don't really know how long people are going to run for. And actually, runners don't know how long they're going to run for. Mm-hmm. You might think that oh, I'm just going to do th- 30 minutes or I'm going to do 5K and then get to the end of that you're like i feel great i just want to keep on running but it will be annoying if you have to stop and you have to mess around with your phone so by default 
um, the app will move into radio mode and you get what what sounds like a sort of like typical kind of like post-apocalyptic radio or, or of course, radio that, that makes sense in the Marvel move story that you're doing. And um, it's a bit like the, you know, GTA radio would be a good, a good sort of comparison where it, it's sort of unlimited and it keeps you company um, and it fits into the story. So those are kind of like some small things that we did just to make sure, all right, it doesn't really matter who you are. We're going to try and make this as good as we can. Um, it's not really possible, like from a from a kind of resources point of view, to make like stories for every single length of run. I, I think people could try, but I, I'm not sure that would work. No, I mean, I I, I experienced the, the yeah, I mean, I experienced that myself. Like, I have like two different versions of you know, like I live in a suburb, and so like I have pretty set paths that like I go on. It's like well. All right, today I think I'm going to do the 2.6 mile. Like, and but I have an option of like, well, if I'm feeling really good on like that last turn, because maybe, well, in the winter, it, it, I, you know, I don't run as much because I really hate treadmills, and so I usually reserve that for the spring, summer, and fall. So I'm get, when I'm gearing up to get back into sort of like running shape, I'm rarely going past the 2.6. It's like I've got that loop, I got, I, you know, but then. You know, once I've gotten to the rhythm of it and I can feel my body uh, kind of like getting more adjusted, it's like, well, I have like an extra mile, mile and a half, depending on which route I want to go, that I can just lop onto that. And I know exactly what that route's going to be. I can tell my wife exactly how long I'm going to be gone so that like I'm not away from the, the kids for too too long. But I absolutely understand what you're talking about, where it's like sometimes in real time you're making those adjustments, especially if you're used to the repetition of doing a sort of a set route over and over. You kind of construct your own uh, ways through it. I think that's a really important observation as well because uh, there are other running games and other sort of location-based games, obviously Pokemon Go, where you are looking at a map as you're playing and, and you sort of figure out where to go turn by turn. And look, you're a runner, you kind of know that that is kind of the last thing you want when you're running because uh, it, it's not really very safe or, or kind of you, it just breaks you out of flow if you're just having to look at your phone all the time. A lot of runners, most runners, I think, have just a few different routes that they want to do. Um, I've got the 5K route, I've got the 10K route, you know, I can do that twice or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they want it to be a little bit more interesting than just listening to an audiobook or music. And so, okay, how can we how can we do that with the technology that people have without asking people to change their habits too much? Right. It, it is actually a, a big ask to sort of get people to do anything different. Um, and so how can we make that feel as normal as possible all right well uh agent i really appreciate the time uh i'm looking forward to checking uh this out when can people check it out what what else do you want to tell us about uh, marvel move before we uh, get out of here yeah it is coming out this summer uh you can check it out at marvelmove.app just search marvel move we have a special founders club thing you get 30 percent off so it's a two years membership like a hundred dollars super exciting i don't know we've been working up for a long time we've been talking to marvel for so many years about this just trying to make this work you can imagine how how difficult it is to, to to convince everyone that this is a good idea so it's just just cool i think we've done a good job on it excellent well i'm looking forward to checking it out and i'm always looking for something else to do on that 2.6 2.67 like i have it down to the second decimal point and i was like if i follow if i follow the exact sidewalks i normally do it's like so i'm always looking for a non-podcast thing to do on that so uh, i appreciate the time and uh congrats on being able to finally announce it after i'm sure a number of years of working on it and uh, hopefully we'll get to chat soon brilliant thanks we're back <laughs> uh, 
And we have some news to get into. Uh, Patrick, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Nintendo putting someone into indentured servitude? <laughs> uh, Gary Bowser, which uh, is Evil. easy to confuse. There are with. two Bowsers. Doug, Gary Bowser. Three is, Bowsers. Is the, Three Bowsers, yeah. <laughs> yeah Gary Bowser, Greg bit. Bowser, well, and Bowser Bowser. I guess the Koopalings, I guess they technically would have the last name Bowser. Yeah, like, but nobody knows the naming conventions yeah, work that way. But Doug Bowser is the president of of Nintendo. Gary Bowser uh, is uh, uh, he was formerly a member of the Team Executor uh, modding group uh, that focused on on the Switch. Um, he was part of a series of arrests related to um, that group. Um, uh, uh, Nintendo uh, and the Department of Justice were involved. He was he was sentenced to forty months in prison. Um, and as part of uh, all, he's now get, gets a chance to go back to Canada. But uh, he essentially owes uh, Nintendo for he fourteen point five million dollars as a, a result of um this whole ordeal. Um, he did an interview recently with uh Nick Moses uh oh five uh gaming podcast um. Uh, in which uh, he had he had spent 16 months in prison um, and then was uh, discharged for good behavior is now being uh, and will be sent back to Canada sometime soon. Um, uh, during the the time that uh, he was in prison, he was able to work s- sort of a job that didn't earn a lot of money, but in theory could go towards the money that is is owed. Uh, uh, Bowser apparently told uh, Moses that he paid 175 dollars of that during. Uh, his stint, um, and going forward, Nintendo is allowed to garnish his wages twenty-five to thirty percent of his growth monthly income, um, and has about six months after release uh, in which before the payments will will spin up again. Uh, and yeah, that seems awful. It's fucking uh, evil. The man, the, the man is, has gone to prison. Um, I understand that they came at a number, and he you know, agreed to it, you know, as part of, you know, that, that whole process. But the notion that $14.5 million can't just stand as some sort of like, this is the number we arrived at, but actually we're going to garnish his wages for, uh, you know, this this is not a teenager. Right. Um, I I forget how old he is, but he is like in his his forties, at least fifties. Like he's going to die owing Nintendo millions of dollars. And, I, I just don't, you know, I understand how this happens because you got to make a, you got to, you know, you got to make a point out of someone to deter, you know, that is, that is the, the, the operating theory here. But I, this, this is unusually cruel punishment to someone who, uh, like the, 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 the crime does not fit the punishment here, especially given, uh, somebody's what they're going to deal with for the rest of their lives. I mean, this is the, the like uh, Rob, not only will this, will he die with this debt unpaid, but like th- there is a chance that like the economic devastation, financial devastation, this will, re- this will rack upon him could kill him. Like, like th- these actions have consequences. If you're talking about 30% of your wages being garnished and like, um, not, you know, the word I meant actually, actually meant to say, but, uh, uh, you're talking about 30% of your wages just gone and you have a like former prison sentence, the jobs you are going to have access to having 30% of that money taken away is going to be putting you like significantly below the poverty line. Yeah. I don't know how I'm trying to think now how it works. I, I, I don't know. Both scenarios are bad, but like 
does the garnishment happen before tax is calculated? So you're not, you know what I mean? Like if it is, you're paid a certain amount, you're taxed on that certain amount, and then 30% of what would have been your take home gets taken. Uh, that is even more brutal, right? I bet it's that. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, that is so in one way or the other, like the, the, the career prospects of somebody in their fifties, uh, you know, with a, a convicted felon, like a pre-tax or post-tax. I mean, you're, you're right. Like, it has an impact, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, like you're, you're severe. I mean, like someone can make, you know, $60,000 and you know, you're cutting them down to 45. Like that is, Jesus. that is a, a hugely it, consequential, um, impact on a person's ability to, um, operate independently, right? Like what essentially what has happened here is as a, res, as a result of this, you know, the, the, the story on Ars Technica, you know, points out that it's, they're going to be you know released to their family, but it's like, you're going to spend the rest of your life, then burdened to your family and the community around you. If you're fortunate enough to have that, you know, uh, that would, I mean, that's awful. Like, like it's not just him that is burdened with this. Like it is everyone around him that then has to deal with the consequences of something that is not like, Hey, for the next five years, you know, I I think, you know, your, 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 your wages, some percentage is going to Nintendo, you know, and then it'll lift, you know, this is the you know, until you can quote pay it off. Like it's ridiculous. Like I understand extending, even if I disagree with it. Like the the notion that it can't just be hey for a little while. Like this, there's going to be a lingering. Like you were discharged with good behavior, but like hey for a period you're going to contribute to this fine that we arrived at. But the notion that it goes for the rest of your life is just incredibly hard to wrap your your head around as being something that is going to deter people from pirating Switch games. Yeah, I mean, like the, the other thing is that like. It, how much money did he make in the in the seven years he spent there? Yeah, three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. A couple hundred thousand. Yeah, the, the, I mean the, the operation generated a lot more. Currently, the the the, the person that is is thought to have earned the most um, uh, lives in uh, France, but hasn't been successfully extradited. Uh, the, the most of the money went yeah. through this individual, um, and there's a at least at this stage a you know half decent shot that, that person goes you know does not see a courtroom and that you have, and which is probably why someone like, I mean, this know, is what's happening. I'm not seeing a fucking courtroom for this. Are you kidding? Like I'm looking up what, like I am going to evade, uh, these legal proceedings as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. The, like it's, it, it's shock. It's a shockingly disproportionate thing. And like, I think part of it also is like, it, it is clear. The courts are taking the always like inflated bullshit estimates that industry, releases for like here's what piracy costs us which is always based yeah, there's on a, there's, like a, there's a note here in the article that says the DOJ relying on Nintendo's assertions of market losses to piracy had originally pushed for a 60 month sentence um he was sentenced for 40 but like that 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 deference to well what do you think how much were you harmed do you think is not how i would want the system to arrive at its punishment like erring to the side of the company judging. I don't know. What's my pain level today? Yeah. What's it? What does it feel? Well, especially because the industry is always sort of like approach the piracy discussion with the obviously like bullshit assertion that uh, like a pirated uh, piece of media equals a lost sale, which is just yeah. like Absolutely never the not case. True. wildly no. disproven. So like, fucking it's dumb. Just, it's not it's not how it works. It's it's easy to see how that lie slips through because like 
psychologically it makes sense, right? Like you, if you were to tell someone that like, oh, if you pirate something, it's a lost sale. Like I see how you could go, oh yeah, I guess I see that. But then you spend any time around um, people, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, yeah. can, you know, Netflix going, Netflix going through its password sharing, you know, love is sharing a password. Now we're going to call that shit back. I mean, like it is just, that is not how the real world works and how people interact with, with media. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm, so, I'm not going to fucking quote Foucault. I'm not doing this. <laughs> but know that the, I almost did. Wow. Restraint. Growth. Thank you. Well, the other thing is, like, I'm not... So I don't know much about what they... I don't know very, know very much about, like, what Team Executor was doing, right? Like, what was... What were they selling, right? Because, like, there's kind of two... Like, there's things you can get, like, where it's, I want to make pirating current games easier... And then there's ways to make devices just do things that the manufacturer didn't originally support or to play backwards compatible things on them, right? Like, Yeah, uh, so according to the Ars Technica piece, um, um, the group developed and sold jailbreaking devices dating back to the original Xbox under various brand and release names. While these devices opened up systems for homebrew, Linux, and other uses, they also made it simple to load pirated ROMs onto devices. Team Executor benefited from the open source work of Switch hackers, sold devices at profit to help others hack their Switches, and were far more explicit about the piracy aspects of their exploits than other groups. And I think that is, uh, from what I've read about the group, that's a bit of why, like, the book was thrown at them here, like, by Nintendo, was like, hey, we all understand you Google, like, ROMs, you can find it. I mean, they play whack-a-mole with those websites, but, like, you know... Uh, you, you can find stuff, but you got to you got to do a little digging. It, you know, it sounds like this group was blatantly like raising their hands and going not homebrew. How about <laughs> home version of Zelda for right. zero dollars mm-hmm. sort, sort of thing? And the, and it has to be stated that the switch has been um, like really uncorked. Like piracy is is a huge problem on that platform to the point that. Nintendo changed the way they did like distribution of re- review copies of their game because uh, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I presume that there was some speculation on their part that some games getting out early was happening, like, you know, through the review distribution process and then loaded onto launch era switches, which are notoriously easy um, to to get into. Um, and so, I mean, ha- do I think Nintendo has lost a shitload of money to piracy? Like, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think we can all agree, like landing at this on this one guy, economically executing like, a 50 year old is not the, yeah. Yeah. Especially cause he's, you know, he described himself or I don't know if this was from the, the, you know, the actual proceedings or how Bowser, uh, described themselves, but you know, th- essentially he was a PR person. He was a marketing person. Yeah. Like he wasn't, wasn't making the devices, wasn't distributing them. Maybe he was responsible for some of the, but you're you know, the one we caught, uh, you're the one we got. Yeah. You're the one he caught, yeah. right? That's that's. I mean, that that is at the end of the day. I think the long and short of it is, hey, the person who was really responsible for you know the behavior that might have resulted in a in a financial loss may never see a court uh, see a courtroom. Whether you agree whether they should or not, um, that the person who at least bears more responsibility for the consequences of this of this group uh, is not the person who is going to be spending the rest of their life paying off a, a debt that seems woefully uh, unfair. Yeah, it's... Uh, and they got them a, for, like... I'm, I'm trying to, like, double-check, but it looks like a lot of the charges are, like, not about the specifics of what they were doing, but how they were moving money around. Like, 
wire like oh, not even wire committing wire fraud but conspiracy to commit wire fraud which is also like wait what <laughs> like what does that what does that even mean um yeah i mean like especially in like the federal code there are a lot of ways to make cases for like not even like well-defined crimes but like activities when yeah. you can't make the main case of like the clear crime yeah uh, and and so this is yeah this is like pretty standard operating procedure for how like federal prosecutors just just roll um, well, and just looking looking at like this, some of these previous there's a, a reading some of these previous stories that Ars Technica has done on on similar sort of things. Uh, uh, this is from a, a different piece by Kyle Orland. Uh, Bowser's sentence is significantly longer than that for Mega Upload programmer uh, Andres Nome, boy, who has not grabbed something from Mega Upload over the years, uh, who faced a sentence of a year and a day after pleading guilty in 2015 to copyright infringement amounting to 400 million over five years um how exactly you arrive at that calculation i don't know but um in this piece there's some quotes from the federal prosecutors um who said quote uh the the sentence and the severity of it would quote send a message that there are consequences for participating in a sustained effort to undermine the video game industry any sentence imposed in this case will be widely disseminated within the video gaming community as this case is being watched closely by the industry i mean that really that that just sends the just incredibly gross message that I mean we know mm-hmm. we don't have to do this. This is not like this does not fit um, what this person did. We just want to scare the rest of you yeah. into thinking this could be you, and that is just so profoundly unfair to the <clears throat> individual in question. There there have to be more effective ways to communicate. Please don't do this. Than. Well, especially because it's never applied. Like life. you don't see exemplary punishment of like CEOs. Like you just don't. Like that never happens. No. Well, no, because uh, the, federal, no. like federal prosecutors don't like throw the book at people like that. So yeah, I lied. I lied previously. Uh, the, just because it's useful here, the public execution then has a juro political function. Its aim is not so much as to reestablish a balance as to bring into play at its, as its extreme point the dissymmetry between the subject who has dared to violate the law and the all-powerful sovereign who displays his strength. In this situation, right, it is, it is the same, like, function of the, like, effectively public execution happening through economic means at the hands of a corporation acting as an all-powerful sovereign. That's discipline like, and punish, right? But yes, that is, that yeah. is discipline and punish. Uh, yeah, and... I think the the thing Foucault could not have anticipated was the fact that uh, the agents of the state would be applying for jobs with the private entities that the state is protecting. I think that's also a part of it too, oh. where it's like a lot of a lot of your federal federal prosecutors yep. uh, are also going to be like, "Well, did my time burnish that resume?" And now it's time for corporate law, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can how can I subvert and twist this from the from the other side? So like, uh, uh, you know. That's another thing to bear in mind is a lot of people on the litigation side of state and federal uh, like attorney's offices are in the midst of an extended audition and yeah. also like sort of a uh, pre-employment service period uh, me, for for corporate for corporate law. 
let me let me perform cruelty to fillet the 30 most evil people in the fucking world. No. Like it it sucks. I hate it so much. We can't help but look at stuff like this and then see what happened with like the Sackler family, right? Like chiefly responsible for the modern opioid crisis settles for 6 billion no jail time. Also, we'll the, that cell. money largely isn't recouped, right? Well, no, they they did settle. I actually like, think they moved actually the think their that assets is, like out from Purdue Pharma. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did hit them, like, yeah. but it's not it's not a jail cell, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just they'll be fine. Like it's you know same way with you know the Fox News you know settlement with uh, Dominion this week. Like, sure, yeah, it's a hit. Like you landed a punch, but um, I, I, there is some, there is there is you know power in that image of powerful people actually, you know, whatever you think of the carceral state, like being put in that place and they never do. Um, they never will. Um, and yet this guy got his hand caught in the cookie jar and bye bye. Sucks. So actually, do you think there's utility in bearing that in mind uh, as we turn to like, you know, people were asking, we're going to stream it, etc. cetera. Uh, Nintendo just had an indie direct. And having <laughs> contemplated now that sweet sweet content on my <laughs> Switch, yeah, uh, and the, the the you know it's it's the it's the uh, cutest platform, uh, and it's it, adorable, it, yeah. Uh, so they have their Nintendo Indie Direct. Uh, I'm curious if anything jumped out at you. Uh, there's nothing huge. There are a couple games that got uh, release dates that are like worth noting. I, I quite liked the original Oxenfree. That game is an, the sequel now has a release date on on July 12th. Uh-huh, uh, yes. I think we you know when we talked about Netflix recently in regards to uh, Joseph uh, uh, Staten uh, th- that you know that you can play that game through your Netflix app. If you've not played Oxenfree, you should. That game's good. Um, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, the Jet Set Radio inspired uh, game, got a release date uh, August 18th. That game looks sick uh and i'm excited for uh that to come out um blasphemous 2 um waypoints game of the generation you, you just like unanimously voted um <laughs> if you've not if you've not played blasphemous it is a fucking awesome uh. you can call it souls inspired I, I think it's more castlevania than it is souls but it certainly has you know it's got the checkpointy stuff um like souls and, and all that but i would put it more in the Castlevania camp than anything else. And it's just this really incredible, like Spanish aesthetic. Like it's just fucking is great. Um, uh, and, and they, the sequel was announced, but is, it is coming, um, sometime this summer, uh, late summer, which is sooner than I would have expected. And in the, in the pre-show Ren was, uh, Ren, you'd mentioned you have been kind of picking at it a little bit because we were both taken by some of the, didn't really spell out what's changing in the combat in this one, but it was hard not to notice like a lot of defensive posture mm-hmm. stuff in here with like an with like the main character like blocking and then being pushed back by an enemy without being clear. Like the UI wasn't communicating mm-hmm. what's happening there. I, I, one thing that I would really love to see is like a version of Blasphemous that like just doubly commits to both sides of itself. Uh, and yeah. that seems to be what we, what we might be getting here, because like the platforming Metroidvania esque sections seem to be a lot more involved, or at least than what I what I played of the game, because uh, I need to finish uh, the first Blasphemous. But more than that, um, those combat sections, like Blasphemous, uh, a fine solution to a combat was just like jump and dash over the guy, and I'd be <laughs> really interested to see if they were like, okay, let's limit that part of your toolkit. 
and instead design a combat system that is worth not doing that. Like if we take away this tool, we have to replace it with something. And then I'd be really interested to see a version of this game that like doubles down on both sides of itself and like more clearly delineates them. Uh, or uh, in the way that in like the Souls games, you don't have to learn how to parry unless it's like a Sekiro that makes it a requirement for combat. But you get distinct, you know, there are advantages to engaging with those systems. And so I'll be I'd be interested to see where Blasphemous falls down. And there was like, hey, we're going to make core to success engaging with these defensive level systems. Or it's like, hey, you can still do the jump and dash. You'll you'll be OK but you're missing out on X, Y, and Z as, as a result of not engaging with some of this new stuff. And so that would be, I, I could see them cause I still in the trailer, there's still a lot of like, Hmm, seem to be dump jumping and dashing in this one, <laughs> uh, which is fine. I'm love. I love to jump and I love to dash, uh, while I fight like a big pixelated demon baby, uh, that's vomiting on me. Um, as is often the case, like even if you never play these games, I cannot more highly recommend watching their trailers because the, the art is just astounding. Yeah. Um, I wrote a feature a couple years ago about the game after being really taken by it. And the heart of the feature was that it's a game made in Spain. Like its script was written in Spanish, but because it was a small team with a limited budget, they had to translate it to English, voice it in English. And it was released with that as the primary language because they were trying to appeal to the broadest possible demographic, like uh, in terms of like what's going to, what makes the most sense to 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 kind of like uh, get the sales in the in the right direction? And my feature was about how they were going back, and then because the game was a success, had a budget to go and record the voices um, in Spanish and like kind of bring the game full circle. And I, I'm going to do a piece following up on uh, the sequel soon. I haven't sent the questions off, but I can at least tell you say up front. It was like the first thing I asked like the PR person. I was like, "Hey, I'm sure, some people are asking like specifics about gameplay, like." What's going on with the defensive stuff? Do they speak Spanish this time when it launches? And they told me yes. Um, they nice. that was like a really important to them that the game better reflected, um, like its its cultural origins and and the and because in the piece I you know really went into like there was a lot lost in like that like translation, um, you know as is is want to be in in those situations. So I'm really stoked that I'll be able to play the game like in like in Spanish with subtitles, like when it comes out later this summer. So hopefully I'll have, I'll have a little bit more from the developers uh, soon, but I at least wanted to to mention uh, that. Um, otherwise it was kind of low key, no silk song. The, the journey continues uh, uh, to wonder if that game actually exists anymore. Maybe it was swallowed into a black hole. I don't know. So, it's somewhere. Um, I, they should take this. They, I mean, <laughs> look, uh, it's going to be so mean to all the other games when it comes yeah. out because everything else won't matter. Right. Um, so, just, just you know, take your take your time. Um, the other one that got a, uh, 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 I guess it didn't get a release date, but we at least know that like uh, Rift of the Necro Dancer, which is the follow up to. I was gonna ask you um, about that. Yeah, yeah, Crypt of the Necro Dancer, a game that I quite liked, but for some reason just didn't play a ton of. Mm. I don't have a good explanation for that because it's exactly the kind of game I would have adored. But um, this new one, the the footage seems to squarely put it into a like rhythm heaven sort of world, which is like. Um, like different mini games and sort of like design interactions with music that go beyond like the kind of, you know, uh, jumping through squares combat system that defined uh, the first one. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's mostly, uh, what happened, uh, 
at the direct. They and then also Doug Bowser came out and like started cheering about jail cells. It was a really weird yes. part. Yeah. Like, it's it's a little unnecessary. I love yeah, disciplining I and punishing. <laughs> They, yeah, they actually put Gary Bowser like in cuffs right on the stream, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. just uh, really, really uncomfortable. God, if they could, man, you know, they would have like, yeah. do public pilleries of people. They <laughs> oh my god, in a heartbeat, in a, in a, in in less than a heartbeat. <laughs> that little that sound the switch makes, like their their little like the like for their transition stuff, like right as the cuffs go on. Oh, dark, just Greg Bowser's dark. <laughs> Greg Bowser standing in front of the camera. I'm sorry, my sovereign body was injured, and I simply must I simply must redress this by inflicting a dissymmetry of pain upon this poor man. I have no um, other option. Well, that's done. Uh, the body of the sovereign anyway. must be restored. I was gonna very very quickly just shout out a game that I thought looked really interesting that you can also get on PC. So like you don't have to buy it on the Switch if you want. Called Crime O'Clock. Did you? Clock that oh, one. it did look cool. It's like yeah. a investigation, uh, like mystery puzzle game that plays with time, and you know, it seems really neat. It has a very kind of uh, interesting art style as well, where like it's very limited uh, palette use, and I don't know. It looks it looked cool. I'm curious. I'm curious about following up with that when it, when it comes out in June. All right. Well. Uh, I think with that interview, we're you know, have a pretty meaty show for folks here. So I think we will just call it a week. Uh, so if you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint. You can follow us on Facebook and YouTube Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. You can follow Kato at A underscore Kato underscore appears. Patrick, where are you? <laughs> I'm over at Patrick Clubic, Rob. Thanks for asking. Ren. Where can interested parties find out more about Renata Price? Where's cool Renata? Uh, at Ren That's or a private Ray- account. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter circles only. Thank you, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Ren or Raven. You can find me becoming cool Renata on my girlfriend's stoop after 5 p.m. Uh, you can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can read what Ren thought of Ocha in uh, text form. Uh, sorry, Ocho in, in text form. Uh, and I I am definitely going to have to write up a bit more about uh, about War Tales. Let me tell uh, you, uh, Ren, did you reach the end of the ref- refugee arc? No. Well, you can pick a side. Oh, I've picked oh. a side. <laughs> Yeah, well, you really have to. You have to commit. Let me just t- let me just tell you oh, this. Uh, you got to break some eggs. You got to break some. I mean, I've done some egg breaking already. I killed some people in a forest who well, I, I I can't tell if. Well, how would you feel about killing them in the streets of town? Well, well. yeah, it's like you hit the end of the, you you reach the end of the quest, and someone's like, you know, you've been so helpful to us, and may really made me understand. That what we need is not help, but revolution. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know that's what I was saying, but <laughs> sure, I'll come help. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sure. Okay. I'm like, Hey, I found the blacksmith y'all need to, like, you know, build a little craft industry here and, like, establish yourselves. And they were like, That blacksmith. It turns out we don't need a blacksmith. Uh, what we need are weapons and revenge. <laughs> yeah, and we so that is. Uh, also, um, 
like this game is so much bigger than I thought, Ren. Uh, I wandered into an area I went exploring, and uh, I encountered some bears. Mm-hmm. Did the bears absolutely fucking obliterate you instantaneously? Well, yes, but also it was more that I couldn't even do anything about them because they all had 900 hit points. Jesus Christ. 900 hit points. So for context... Feels for rather out of scale, doesn't it? What the fuck? For context for everyone, uh, let me just say the kind of damage numbers that I was doing with my best DPS at level 4. 20. 36. <laughs> 36 damage was like doing multiple terms of... That was a crit with multiple yeah. terms of setup with my guy who... Uh, with my like rogue. Yeah. I wandered out of Tiltron, like I found this like sheltered mountain pass going east. And I was like, cool, I'll see what's over here. And it seemed like a perfectly nice place. And then I went over a mountain and then I met some bears and I was like, why were the, why were the, why were the bears? uh, Why was the icon for them tinged red? I haven't seen that before. Why is that red? Uh, And then I load into the battle and they all had 900 hit points. And I was like, that's just not a scale that I knew this game could even reach. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. But anyway, very big game. Lots of fun. Uh, continue to enjoy. Wait, I was that, write something up. Were those the first bears you'd met or you'd met bears before? Oh, I met. I met. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. well, I thought I met bears, but <laughs> these were Ugh. different bears. Yeah. I will. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, thanks to Waypoint Plus. We've been able to have a bunch of fun streams lately. Uh, how is Darkest Dungeon 2 continuing? Um, oh, great. Absolutely amazing. Who whoever said that a game was hard now did Nikata, we? Yeah. What? We wiped. No, I mean, we wiped it's once. Fine. It was, it was being unfair. Wiping it was, one thing uh, shit. Yeah. That sounds... It's a wrong exactly. game. Yeah. Exactly. It, it uh, makes sense. To give you an idea of our current state, I sent Kato a tweet I saw uh, recently that said, a video game is good when you can apply damage over time effects. Poison, burning, things of that nature. Things of that nature. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> that is currently That's what Kato and I are doing. We we made some shit that I think is disgusting. Like we yeah. we we have made some stuff that when it works, uh, we can basically <laughs> instantly obliterate any team. It's it's nice. a, it's astounding. It's it's great. We're breaking this thing wide open. I'm sure that if we go back in. Uh, it'll be smooth sailing through the rest of the game, obviously, you know. Love to hear that. <laughs> and uh, I think Patrick and I are going to close out the week. Maybe as you are listening to this, uh, we will be doing it. We'll be playing some Dead Island uh, 2 multiplayer. Uh, for Waypoint Plus listeners, hey, this week we watched Mandy. Next week it'll be on the main feed, but right now you get it ad-free if you're a Waypoint Plus subscriber. If that sounds good or you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this week. We will talk to you again uh, next week. Till then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.